does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Okay, countdown to Christmas continues. Christmas week. I'm starting to get in the mood, guys. I'm starting to get festive. I'm starting to plot and plan the revenge that I will have on either of the two of you if I get sick for Christmas. Well, I already have, so thanks, Eddie. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jake. <laughs> what I do? You started with this whole... No, I started it. I oh, started that's right. It. I started it. Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, you, you were off last week, Eddie. Jimmy was gone. I took one day off. Well, that should have been enough to rest. You came back in here instead. <laughs> right? I had to move my office or my desk. Oh, you have a desk. Are we getting festive on Friday? You still have a desk. I don't know where my desk is. I had a desk. I put everything into one. Sm- I- I've been fired enough places now that like I, I don't get. You never unpack for too long. Correct. <laughs> like y- y- you go into somebody's place and they've got an office that looks like a. You walk in and it looks like a an. A thrift store and you're like okay that person's way too confident <laughs> why do i feel like your off your closet at home looks like a thrift store believe you me it does not in any way shape or form and i'll tell you why i think i told you when i when i came back from the hospital three years ago i mean i was only in the hospital for two days but i came home and i'm like you know what i, I have it was during covid so there was nothing to do anyway but I don't know. There was this weird thing where you have like a near-death experience where you're like, I have too much crap that people are going to have to go through if I die. So I literally spent a week straight, eight hours a day, thrifting, cleaning out stuff and got rid of 60% of what I own. Half of downtown Indianapolis is walking around wearing eyes on IndyCar series stuff. <laughs> uh, good afternoon to you on a Tuesday. On this, the week leading up to Christmas, my name is Jake Query, Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cook, you just heard from. It is Query and Company here on 93.5-1075, The Fan. Eddie is the CEO of the company. He runs the board for us and throws around his sick-ish. Um, Jimmy Cook is starting to get sick because he sits too close to Eddie. Fortunately, I'm on the other side. Jimmy, the president of the company, and it is the holiday week. Christmas is upon us, Hanukkah, etc., and what better thing to do to get festive and be in the holiday spirit and the holiday mood, then dish out no defense whatsoever and let somebody score 150 on you. I mean, even though it's not Thanksgiving, it's still a season of giving around the Christmas holidays. So, yeah, very nice the Pacers to go up 151, let James Harden and the beard himself scream basically at a Bally sideline camera on a four-point play that never actually happened because Rick Carlisle challenged and it wasn't a foul at all, so it's just a normal three-pointer, one of the lone bright spots last night. But yeah, you look at, and I'll, I'll tip the cap, somebody gave a shout-out to him on Twitter, I'm not willing to say that he is necessarily a, a betting guru, but an impressive breakdown yesterday at the end of the show, if you didn't catch it, go back and listen to it, by our own Eddie Garrison, because he highlighted the fact he didn't think anybody was going to be able to stop Paul George or Kawhi Leonard on the Pacers, they both combined for 55, and while we didn't mention him, James Harden goes for 35. So you go your checklist of who to watch for on LA. They failed pretty much in every category defensively. And then from an offensive standpoint, you go and read some game recaps. And if you watched as well, you'd notice it. You're trying to theorize what was wrong with the offense. Was it time zones? Was it just a sloppy play overall? I mean, any game you look at Tyrese Halliburton and he's either hampered or held back by an opposing defense. I mean, you're going to hold him to single digits. I'm not, like in the Pacers' chances, but it was a 
main defensive failure is the real reason you can point to why the Pacers stumbled last night. That and, I mean, it's weird, Jake. I know no one cares about the team out West, but both LA and Indiana have struggled post-in-season tournament final. They're both on respective losing streaks over the span of, what, four or five games since then? And for the Pacers, I don't can't quite pinpoint exactly what it is other than you know they're not a good defensive team, and when the offense isn't there to meet them and carry that burden, stuff like last night happens. When I was a pickup basketball player, by the way, we'll talk about this perhaps along with one of the great things he's doing in the city with assistant coach Lloyd Pierce going to join us at 2.30 today. We'll talk plenty of Pacers with Scott Agnes at 2 o'clock. Zach Osterman going to join us at 1 o'clock. Uh, some big things happening actually with Indiana football, kind of a, a little bit, at least from an IU football standpoint, as much as it can be, like a momentum buzz with some changes there. Um, Purdue is the new number one team in the land, right? I guess that was yesterday when Purdue was awarded. I, I was curious of this before we get back into the Pacers chat. Um, is it a slight to Indiana? Like, if you're an Indiana fan, which is a bigger slap in the face? The fact that Purdue's back to number one? Or the fact that Kansas was number two. I know that Purdue beat Arizona, who was number one. So, that, I mean, it's very understandable. And, and it is correct that Purdue is ranked number one. But Kansas was number two. The number one team lost, granted, to Purdue, who was third. But what does it say about the respect level or lack thereof to Indiana that Kansas going to Bloomington and winning in Assembly Hall was not enough to put them at number one? I would be more irritated with the fact that this is now consecutive seasons, and I can't remember how many times in the last couple of years, but it is consecutive seasons where Purdue occupies and is in that conversation for best team in the country. That would irritate oh, well, me I more. Mean, uh, Purdue well, has it, the best resume right. for sure right now. But but if you're looking at what embarrasses you more, it's that to me versus, ah, well, they didn't respect Kansas or IU enough to bump Kansas to number one. Purdue has an opportunity, and it's probably not going to happen here down the stretch, Two ways to look at this. And again, I'm an optimist, right? I'm a silver lining guy. I'm always, everything's sunshine and rosy with me, except for the the health of the two of you. Um, <laughs> but Purdue set a record this year at four for the most losses in a calendar year while ranked number one. In 2023, Purdue lost four games while ranked number one in the country. That is the most in a calendar year of any team in the history of college basketball. The silver lining for me, the the rosy part of that, the part where I give them a ton of credit, in order to even accomplish or smell that feat, you got to be ranked number one. Yep. So, you know what I mean? In, in that regard, kudos to Purdue. And even more glass half full than that, only one of those losses matters right now in this season. Correct. Right, like the other ones are just. I, I get it. Like, well, those and you were good enough. You were good enough at one point that you were able to right. lose a game and still stay at number one. Right. But last night at the Pacer game, and Eric went along with me. Listener Eric, who called into the program last week, I think he's the first listener I've ever had in in my radio career. And so on the air, I just said, "Hey, you want to go to the game?" And Eric said yes. And Eric and I had a fun time. He drove down. We went down to the game together. We ate at the field house. And I ate like seven Almond Joys because they've got a little thing of candy there. Saw Doug Bowles and Connor Daly there, amongst others. But it was a, it was a fun night at the Fieldhouse last night. The When I was in high school and I played a lot of pickup basketball, I mean, I played basketball 
in, in the first part of my career at North Central. I was not big nor good enough to be a varsity level player at North Central, admittedly. But I loved playing basketball and I played a ton of ball. And I remember I was my buddies would all call me a gun. I, I never when I played for Joe Porter at North Central, I couldn't learn the offense. And I just I, I never knew where the ball like when I was on the floor, I did I could not learn the offense. And so when the ball came to me, I was putting it up because I didn't know what I was supposed to do with it. And I remember one time somebody said to me, like, you probably should play better defense too. And I said, well, and I jokingly said, my offense is my defense. <laughs> and when playing pickup ball, I used to say to people all the time, my offense is my defense. It, like Best offense if, is good defense. Right. If you, if you can't stop me, then it doesn't matter whether or not I can stop you. I think that for the Pacers – there were two things that really hurt them last night. There were a lot of things that hurt them last night. Number one, they were going up against a quartet of Hall of Fame career players. Now, Russell Westbrook's not the same as he once was. Kawhi Leonard may not be totally the same. And Paul George is still a very good player, but obviously older. And then, you know, James Harden... Speaking of guys that that their best defense is their offense, but James Harden when he gets hot still is a lightning in a bottle guy, and he there was a period last night where he got hot and he's doing snow angels on the floor. <laughs> but Indiana's problem right now is really twofold. Number one, the the Pacers I think offensively kind of have the mentality of our best defense is our offense. And I think that because their defense has been essentially a sieve, Tyrese Halliburton, without even realizing it, now has it in his mind. Tyrese Halliburton, in the run through the in-season tournament, one of the things that was so invigorating, captivating, intoxicating, fun about it was he was free-flowing and kind of in his own and I don't mean the defensive zone, I mean like in a zone in terms of everything was going in. He was perfect from a ball security standpoint. Correct. He wasn't turning the tournament. ball over and he was hitting shots from everywhere. And then I think that defenses started to play him a little bit differently. And he is now, in, and I don't think this is a permanent thing, but I think it's a temporary, I think it's a struggle he's in right now, is that he's kind of overthinking things. And instead of going through things instinctively and in free flow, he is, in fact, now starting to overthink passes. He's starting to telegraph a little bit. He's starting to force things. And he forced some bad shots. I mean, when he hits those odd pull-up threes against Boston, four-point play, it's amazing. But you also forget about the fact that he does those and you're like, what are we doing here? And the ball's three feet away from the rim. That does happen. Tremendous player, tremendous talent, tremendous upside, and the guy you want on your team. But for right now, defenses are starting to adjust to Tyrese Halliburton, and Tyrese Halliburton has not adjusted to those defenses. That is complicated by the fact that Halliburton is not a good wing defender, at times a non-existent wing defender which you can get away with if you have Andrew Nimhard there to have your back. Or you can have Miles Turner to rim protect if people get past you. Or you have Jalen Smith 
to provide a bolstering line to protect the rim. But you don't have those guys there, and now you're putting too much defensive pressure on Aaron Neesmith, who's the one guy that will go out there and get in guys' faces and guard on the wing. It all added up last night with no Jalen Smith, no Miles Turner, no Andrew Nimhard, and Halliburton, as a result, started to kind of force things offensively, and they got – at one point, it was a – 13-point game, and Eric very astutely said to me, they need to get this probably within seven at the half. And I said, yeah, it feels like it's getting away from them. Early in the third, it got down to 16, or it got up to 16, and I'm like, it's getting away from them quick here. And those guys, you know, the Clippers have players, Jimmy, that can hit in bunches and hit quickly and, and get into rhythm. And they let them get into rhythm last night. And look, I know that fans here want to jeer Paul George, and I get it, because of what happened in the history and everything else. But you know what? Paul George is the blueprint, literally. Did you ever read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? No, I don't think that's... I mean, I've seen seen the movie. That's the best I can do for you. Eddie, did you ever read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? Did not. You're familiar with the Frankenstein story, though. Correct. Correct. So... Dr. Frankenstein, you know, everybody thinks Frankenstein's the monster thing, right? Right. That he's just the monster. Dr. Frankenstein's the guy that created it. If Dr. Frankenstein could go in the lab right now and develop a player that is the exact player that the Indiana Pacers in 2023 need in terms of a skill set for that player, what they can bring to the table, and what this team needs... Dr. Frankenstein would come out of the basement with Paul George. Quite honestly. Now, I know that, and he has a player option at the end of the year. He's done podcasts where he said, like, watching Tyrese Halliburton go off made him nostalgic for Indiana. Would he come back here? I have no idea. Would they want him back? I have no idea. But in, in, And he's also 33 years old. But he still has some game in him. He's a wonderful player. You know, he is. He's always been known as one of the highest two-way level players in in the game. I mean, for his entire career, correct. He's been known as. I mean, again, the playoff blunders aside, especially post Indiana, like leave those out of the conversation for just a second. Just look at the totality of him as a player. And yes, he he fits exactly what you'd be wanting—a wing defender that can knock down timely shots. But I agree with your other point and on rebound. there, Jake, and rebound right, and that's something this team often desperately needs would that work I mean that's a conversation for the offseason but the larger point is when you're looking at needs for this team moving forward that's clearly the type of player that you're missing in terms of what they want to do not just at the deadline this year potentially but in the offseason this summer is utilize all this cap space they're going to have plug holes and even if it's not Paul George that stylistically is the type of player that you would like to have alongside Tyrese Halliburton correct you know, the amount he's going to cost, I, I would say it probably didn't work. But uh, last night, you know, he, he some of the shots he hit, you're like, okay. And, and, you know, at times, the way that they – you know the one thing the Clippers do? And I'm not saying Indiana doesn't do this because Indiana offensively, you know, offense is not their problem. But I'll tell you the one thing the Clippers do, which is pretty amazing considering Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, you know, certainly James Harden, they rotate and move the ball around really well. Yeah. I mean, those guys are not shooting – contested shots more often than not. Although Kawhi Leonard in the mid-range game is like as good as anybody. 
I mean, yeah, it's over. I mean, it is. You it, get it inside of free throw line inward, it's over. That's and it. I mean, he's not a big guy, right? Like you, you would think that Kawhi Leonard, just based statistically speaking, would be built like Paul George. He's not. But he just has an incredible ability to know where the basket is in relation to him. You ever have you ever been playing pickup ball or playing the game of basketball? And you can see it happen to people besides just yourself, but where you're trying to back somebody down or you have your back to the basket and you lose depth as to where the basket is. Sure. You get the ball and you turn around and you're like, whoa, like I was way closer than I thought. Or, you know, certain guys just have like a knack to knowing where they are on the floor in relation to that better. And Kawhi Leonard's one of them, right? Absolutely yeah, one sure. of them. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll continue talking about it. I want to play some stuff from Rick Carlisle coming up here in just a little bit that's pretty interesting as well because Carlisle, I think last night, and again, probably heat of the moment, but he said some things after the game last night that I thought he walked back a little bit today. And we'll get into that here in about 15 minutes or so. Uh, in terms of last night, Jimmy, did anything exciting? Other than uh oh, in terms new of cold? Me? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, experiencing the new cold a little bit. Uh, briefly, and I'm saying this because I know Eddie's going to say, oh, well, maybe that's where he got sick. No, it was maybe 20 minutes or so. But finally made the trip to uh, the Chris Kindle Mart out there in, in Carmel. Had some uh, little their little uh, Alpine melty cheese sandwich. Tried some of their uh, what are the potatoes on a stick. Very, very good across the board. If you haven't got a chance to do it for the Christmas holiday season, now, not I'm a sponsor. Ask a dumb question. Go here. ahead. Yeah. So this is an outdoor Christmas market, correct? correct. Yes, sir. And is there an admission to get into it, or you no. just walk around? You just walk around. You got to pay for the food and drink, obviously. Right. But obviously. yeah, yeah. Okay. Free to get into. Did you get like a like a hot cocoa? We did have some cocoa. Yes. Did you get a spiked hot cocoa? Did not have a spiked hot. Cocoa. Did you get it in the boot mug? Haley already had the boot mug. She had made a trip oh. already, so we did not get the boot mug. Okay. You get a souvenir boot mug? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, every year they have a different style boot mug. We have a number of those in the cookhouse. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Eddie, anything fun last night? Uh, no, I had a Purdue Pacers game. And that was it? Yeah. Okay. Did you have fun? No. Okay. Well, it's always fun working with Mark Boyle, there we Boyle go. There Pat we go. Boyle, there Eddie Gill, and Eddie White, but the game itself, not fun. Yeah, it was not, uh, it was not a great performance. I mean, you sure. give up... 50% from three to a team like that, and your offense is not at the height that it's been at times this season. It's going to be a long night. That and Tyrese Halliburton, to your point, Jake, he'd been masterful in the in-season tournament, and it's not a fair standard to hold him to, but you're not used to seeing a four-turnover game with him that's met with only eight points, and he's not the sole reason they lost. A lot of it was defensive breakdowns, and I'm sure had Nemhard been available, like that, that changes things in terms of where the rotation fully is and maybe what you could expect on extended runs with defense, but it's still a larger issue of, I hope this is a lull post in season tournament, but depending on how they're able to keep their head above water, how closely are they going to monitor February's deadline with, we need a permanent solution versus we're okay with what we have until we get to the off season. I, I think here's the thing. The Pacers have a little bit of Colts in them. And I say this only because, you know, the at the beginning of the season for the Colts, and I'll give Colts credit because I, I think that they have stuck to this, but at the beginning of the year for the Colts, what did we say other than this year was all about developing Anthony Richardson and getting everything built, building all the pieces for Anthony Richardson and making sure you don't fall victim to accelerating a timeline. And 
they have obviously exceeded expectation this year. Some of that, admittedly, and, and I, I, people are going to come at me and say that I'm a hater or whatever else. I get it. That's fair. Some of it. I'm not saying all. Some of the Colts' success this season, and I'll give them credit, they have won the games that they should win. But they have been assisted by a combination of their schedule and a combination of just things falling their way in terms of the availability of opponent. It's not a hater take. It's one that's very important for Colts fans and those that follow and cover the team just like us to keep in the back of their mind because regardless of what happens the rest of the year, the whole offseason, it's going to be hard if they make the playoffs, which they should, to not look at it and say, hey, they made the playoffs with a team that was missing their franchise centerpiece, or at least the centerpiece they believe they have in Anthony Richardson. If that's what they can do this year, what could they do next year? Well, there's two things to keep in mind. And again, you play what's on the schedule, and I don't want to fully walk back what's been a fun Colt season because there's still games to play. But if they wind up winning the division, the schedule's going to be wildly different than what they played this year. That's not to say they can't still win games. That's not to say they couldn't be a playoff team next year. But it's important to enjoy, if you're a Colts fan, it's important to enjoy the moment and enjoy this ride for as long as it goes while also realizing that like any team in the Colts situation, they've played hard, they've won the games, but they've taken advantage of what has been in front of them. And that's a luxury that might not be there a year from now. You need more growth than just what the schedule presents to you. And so that same lesson, that same blueprint, that same discipline of not getting tempted applies, I think, to the Pacers. Because the Pacers this year, I, I a year ago, the Pacers were very upfront. They were very candid. They were very transparent in saying, look, we're not going to be very good. We're not going to win a lot of games. We're going to try to be competitive, but we're not going to be very good. And then they end up getting a good draft pick. Not a great, but a good draft pick. And I don't mean by player. I mean like in terms of where they were drafting. And obviously they take Jairus Walker, who is still a work in progress. There have been flashes maybe a little bit, but for the most part, a work in progress. And Tyrese Halliburton has flourished. They got themselves into a position with the in-season tournament. And the value of the in-season tournament was exactly what is happening right now. What the Pacers have happening to them right now is not necessarily fun, but it's the it's the awkward teenage headgear wearing pimple acne medication growth of a franchise. It's not fun to go through it. But it's better to go through it now than it is in the first round of the playoffs when all of a sudden you're squaring up against Milwaukee or Boston or whoever it might be. And for the first time, you're seeing what happens when defenses adjust and really hunker down and and come after you. And that's what happened in the in-season tournament championship against the Lakers. They saw that turn up of the wick defensively with $500,000 per player on the line. And they're probably seeing it now because they played a marquee game. They played two marquee games where kind of everybody's watching and you get a real chance to see what to do to kill the snake by cutting off the head and limiting Tyrese Halliburton and forcing others to beat you. It is better to learn these things and take these lumps right now in December than it is in May or June. 
And and that's the benefit of the tournament with this young team. But what the Pacers need to learn from the, the Colts is the Pacers need to learn from the Colts that you can't accelerate your timeline of a natural, organic process of franchise growth by jeopardizing and all of a sudden turning in. Like, I thought Isaiah Jackson last night gave you good minutes. And Jarris Walker's a young player that they're still seeing what he might be able to bring to the table. And, you know, Andrew Nimhart or whoever it might be. You have to keep somewhat of that nucleus there to let it grow and continue to grow and water it as opposed to immediately getting anxious and say, and getting greedy and accelerating your timeline of what was supposed to be. This was supposed to be a learning year continued anyway. So you don't want to then say, you know what, we got to make changes right now and we're going to trade Jarris Walker and Isaiah Jackson and, and partner with Buddy Heald and go out and get one big player. I get that you want to do that to to make your team upper level top three, four seed right now because you can kind of start to sense it. But I think instead of cashing in for the immediate gratification, you allow for the continued growth for a longer term sustained success. And that's that's the challenge that they're that they're getting into, especially leading up to the deadline. Like it's one right, thing to reevaluate I mean. this off season with all the money they like have. To they spend. have some young pieces people are going to come calling right, for. Right, right. They have, and and I just think it's important to to continue to hold on to a couple of those. Kind of um, reminds me of Dallas from a few years ago. They made the conference finals with Luka Doncic because they went all in and. It's been disastrous ever since because they've had no assets to go out and right. supplement. Luca with short term success versus right. long term sustainability, yep. right? Um, by the way, and we're going to hear from Rick Carlisle coming up in just a minute um, because I, I think he he walked back a little bit of what he said last night, and I get it. I mean, there's probably some post game frustration, but he 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 was on this morning with Kevin and Andy, really good conversation as he always is each Tuesday, and it's always a good conversation. But I think if you analyze some of the things that Rick Carlisle said today versus what he said last night, you can kind of see. What happens when just dust settles a little bit? But before we get to that on the other side, I, I did want to throw this in. Eddie, if you could, go ahead and fire up from the Flintstones, one of the great hits of the, of 60 years or so ago. Here we go. This goes out. Do you know what anniversary is today, boys? That would be the people who brought you into this great world. That is correct. Happy 59th wedding anniversary to my parents. Congratulations. They are going tonight to dinner at, um, I'm just going to say a downtown establishment. How's that? My parents going out to dinner tonight to celebrate 59 years, 59 years of marriage. And they did, you want to know the key to success to that marriage? I'll tell you exactly what it is. I stopped by my parents' house last night and I walked in and my mom was watching TV and I said, where's dad? And she said, I think he's in the rec room, but he might be asleep. I'm not sure. I said, okay. That's the key to success right there, right? Make it work. My dad in his man cave watching, I think he was watching actually Seattle and Philadelphia. How about the Eagles, by the way? Man. Starting to backpedal a little bit, right? The Philadelphia Eagles, what is that, three in a row for him? Four? I think it's three. I think it's three. I think that's right. San Francisco, Dallas, Seattle, is that it? But, um, and that's a pretty, pretty legit sled there. I mean, Seattle's decent, right? Sure. And- Got to be happy, obviously, for oh, Drew Locke, a little late game yeah, anytime, anytime that your number's called and you come yeah. in there and Drew Locke and a guy that didn't know you know, at the beginning of the week if he was even going to be 
out there on the field and then he's starting and he's you know or he's coming in and he's making big throws and he's making big plays. Yesterday you were talking about the clichés of next man up and how you always see That's it right. around the league. It's Every one team thing says that. correct. It's one thing to say it, it's another thing to actually take advantage of the opportunity and deliver and against a Super Bowl contender, a Super Bowl runner up a year ago, to do that with like 90 seconds to go and a beautiful throw to Jackson Smith and Jigba to end that game. Hats off to him. You know, when when you listen to the post-game pre- or interview on the field with Drew Locke, you realize just how involved the quarterback play is. Because he's like, you know, I knew that they had like a soft corner bubble on the left side and that they were giving up, you know, the, the safety was doing, I mean, and you're thinking, man, to, to process all of that, recognize it, process it, decide it, make the throw all in the span of like 45 seconds is pretty legit yep. stuff, right? Yep. Um, but anyway, happy anniversary to my parents, the Eagles in the NFC, you know, seemingly backpedaling a little bit. They'd be the five seed right now. Playoffs ended today, they'd be the five seed. And speaking of like backpedaling a little bit, did Rick Carlisle do that when talking about the Pacers and the cure for the defensive woes? We will get into that and hear from him. We'll do it next. Back here on a Tuesday and at last check, a sun splashed one. Little chilly outside though, but it's supposed to warm up, right? Yeah, my wife told me it was supposed to be like 60 on Christmas Day. I looked today, like 55, but and rainy. rain, though, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which is always a shame. Like, I, I'm tired of the snow by about the second week of January, like I think most Hoosiers well, often are. sure. But I, I would take that extra week of snow to enjoy a little bit I mean, of a white Christmas. Snow's like, cool it. as long as it doesn't turn into that, like, black, Yeah. you know, like, on the side of the road when it, like, it gets all, like, black from exhaust and dirt right. and it's yeah. just blech. Yes. But let me ask you this. Would you rather have Jimmy Cook All right. this time of year? I'm going to give you two forecasts, and you tell me which one you go with. You ready? Okay. For today or for Christmas or any like special caveats? For the next three weeks. So in, in so let's say for January. All right. For the month of January. Clear skies. Sunny. Every day. Little sun emoji on your on your phone. Low of five, high of 15 for the entire month. Or cloudy, 30% chance of rain daily, low of 45, high of 55. Which one do you take? See, when you gave the high of 55, we've done this exercise once before. I can't remember when we did it. And I went with the cold and the sunny because I like the sunshine. When okay. you throw in the 55, that's that's a new wrinkle now because then that's – I don't know if this is the standard for Indiana people. I know with John, it's it's there is no standard. But for me, it's 50 degrees and up. I'll break out the shorts. Like that's that, that, that's short weather for me. So now, now I'm tempted. I, I, I'm still I'll – go, I'll go with the sunny because I, I, I like to see the sunshine. I, I would agree with you that lack of sunshine can be very difficult to deal with. For a whole month, yeah, but, I'll go, I'll go but sunshine. But the one thing I will say about – I, I'll go back to what uh, I always go back to what Rick DeBrule said to me when we were in an IndyCar race once, and he lives in Phoenix. And I said, Man, how hot does it get there in the summer? Ah, 115. <laughs> I go, That is ridiculous. Like, how do you deal with that? You can't say, eh, when the follow up is 115. Yeah. And he said, <laughs> and I'll never forget this quote. And I thought, You know what? Amen. He said, Jake, we both live in cities that have climate extremes. In your case, it is that you live in a place where 
in the wintertime, it, it can be an extreme cold. And I'm like, yeah. And he said, and I live somewhere where it's extreme hot. I go, yeah. And he said, when it's 115, it doesn't take me any longer to start my car or go out and get my mail. And I'm like, that's exactly right. It's the the bundling up. The, I mean, like like last night going to the Pacer game. You know, you go in, you got this big coat on because you're, you're standing outside to get in, and then you you, you know, you, and then you get inside the arena, and you're like, well, now what do I do with this huge, you yeah. know, George Costanza like Gore-Tex coat that I've got on <laughs> that's knocking over bottles? You know, I mean, it's a hassle. Everything's a hassle. Uh, last night there was not a hassle for the Los Angeles Clippers in trying to score, because seemingly each and every time they wanted to score they did they went over 150 daniel tice put him over the top that had to be a satisfying feeling for him rick carlisle after the game last night you could tell was frustrated when talking about the defensive effort or lack thereof of his team and this is what he had to say after watching the pacers give up over 150 last night here's rick carlisle this is last night post game we got a huge target on our back because of you know winning some games in the in the tournament so you know the pacers aren't sneaking up on anybody but our, our mindset, if it's shifted to just to just simply trying to outscore teams, and and away from any kind of emphasis defensively, you know that's that's got to stop. And if it means massive lineup changes, then that's what that's what'll happen. If it means playing a slowdown game, that's what'll happen. At some point, there there aren't any excuses. Okay, and I like that. I like it. He he's the head coach, and you know, hey, listen. He, he's sending the message out, right? Guys, here goes the smoke. Like, I'm telling you right now, if you're not going to guard, if you're not going to do what we're talking about defensively, if you're not going to buy in, then we'll do lineup changes. We, we, it, it's all fun and games when you're out there flying around and scoring record number of points and, and all that. But, you know, and I'm glad you have fun in that freewheel system. But if you think that, that, that we're going to do that when you can't commit, to defending on the other end, then then we'll change some things up. That's what he's saying there, right? I like most of it. I agree that you can't just think, oh, we're just going to go score and defense doesn't matter. But I don't agree with the middle portion. I know that's what we're leading into here with his conversation this morning on the wake-up call with KB and Andy, but I don't know the way they're built and the way they want to play. They can just change stylistically and automatically guarantee the defense is going to get better because of that. Well, but what I'm saying is he, he is saying... It's one thing, Jimmy, to to not be a great defender. Sure. It's another thing to put out the presence or or the appearance that you don't even have any desire to try to be a good defender. And that's what he's saying there last night. Right. What he's saying last night is, look, it, it we can't afford – clearly, it's one thing if we want to go out and score 140 points a night. But through 24 games now, 25 games now, that's not winning us enough games. So we've got to change some things. That's what he's saying last night. He's telling his team, we got to change some things, and if you're not willing to change it, I'll either make lineup changes or I'll just take the the Ferrari away from you and say, we're going to drive a Honda Civic from now on and see how you handle with it. Now, that was last night. Rick Carlisle today on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Our scores are going to be high. You know, it's just, it's just kind of the nature of the way we play offensively. 
and I may have talked about slowing the game down and stuff like that. I don't want to do that. I've done it in the past with teams, and it's been an effective adjustment. But I don't think it fits the character of, of our team offensively. I don't think it fits Tyrese. I don't think it fits a lot of the guys we have on our team. And so, you know, that's not, that's not the way to go. But the, the, the way to go is to play better. Okay, so what he's saying there, and I get it. I'm not picking on Rick Carlisle at all. I'm saying in the heat of the moment last night, clearly he was a little bit more, I would say threatening, that's the wrong word. He was a little more candid about the measures he was willing to take. I think frustrated and it just kind of just all spilled out yeah, last night. frustrated is probably a better way of saying it. Well, I think he gave a lot of real issues that he wants fixed and then took it a bridge too far as to how to fix them. Like, you can still play the pace they want to play and give effort defensively. Like, Eddie and you and I were talking about it before we turned the mics on today. Like, there's a difference between being well, a mater D and bringing the but, but, guard to the table. But, Jimmy, what he is saying is this. What he is saying last night is, if if I try, it's just like your parents when you were a kid and they tried to tell you that if you don't start doing your homework, they're going to take away your your nintendo or if you don't start doing whatever they're gonna take away your bike you know whatever it might be right and and each time it gets a little bit the penalty gets a little more heavy sure so he's he's laying out his checklist of what he thinks can or needs to be done to get them to start to guard and you start with look we'll, we'll make some lineup changes you don't want to guard you're not going to play if that doesn't work then and so then what he's saying is and as a last resort he was saying look if need be I'll just make it less fun to play I'll just slow the game down and make it so that you are playing so half court grind it down on the half court set offensively that that mindset is going to carry over defensively and force you to play their we'll play their game because playing our game clearly ain't working for us. Trying to outrun teams isn't working for us because we're allowing them to run even faster. So so that's what he was saying last night. I think what happened was, to Eddie's point, you know, there was probably a frustration level there, but when he really sat down and looked at it, then he he thought to himself, you know what? That though would be cutting off our nose to spite our face because the way we are built right now, our strength that we have to play to, you always have to play to your strength. And our strength is we have guys that are free flow offensive players, and we probably don't have the defensive skill set yet to to try to slow teams down because I'm not sure we can slow them down. And then we're slowing ourselves down. We're slowing ourselves down to slow down others. So we're taking our own strength away just to try to find some strength on the other end, and it's just not going to work. So part of it is, of course, Miles Turner, Andrew Nimhard, you know, those are big defensive catalysts for you. But I think they need to start getting more minutes and offensive reliability out of Jairus Walker so they can have him out there because he is thought to be a good defender. And they do need somebody to give some rim protection assistance. To if I'm Miles Turner, Miles Turner plays with the big wingspan, right? He he protects the rim. 
he he flies in and blocks shots sometimes out of nowhere. If I'm Miles Turner, the whole city should know my wingspan because I'm walking around with my arms off to the side and in the air the whole time. Like, can I get somebody to help me here, please? And I know Miles Turner's a popular whooping boy around town. I get it. I get it because part of why Miles Turner is like a popular whipping boy amongst the Pacer fan base, let's be real, is because this is a fan base that was so desperate for so long to have another face of the franchise because we rode for so long the high and the repeated highs of the Reggie Miller era that we were just waiting for somebody that could continuously have us in that euphoria as a city again. And so at first it was, you know what, like Paul George, here's the answer. Here's the guy. When Paul George bolted, Miles Turner had some nice games and it's like, you know what? We're, we're safe after all. It's Miles Turner. And then Turner water found its level a little bit. And then Oladipo came along and it's like, here, here we go. It's, it's, but because Miles Turner was at one time thought of as, okay, that's now the face. It was an unfair expectation for him that he's never been able to live up to. Nobody would. And I think people now realize what his role is, but they are expecting him to be a Robin every single night. And I think at times it's tough because he is the last line of defense defensively for them, which is even harder, Jimmy, when you have two turnstiles on the wings on on given nights. And everything's coming his way. I, You know, it's it's pretty easy to like, you ever seen uh, which vacation movie was it where they went to? Was it Vegas Vacation? You ever seen that with Chevy Chase and Clark Griswold? And they go to the Hoover Dam and they're taking the tour of the Hoover Dam and Clark Griswold's down in the tour of the Hoover Dam and and he there's a water there's a water leak and he gets out his gum and he tries to stop the water leak and then another sp- water starts coming through another area and before you know it he is incapable it's like whack-a-mole he's incapable of stopping the water because it's coming through from a thousand different areas that's got to be what it feels like to be miles turner right so they've got to get a mindset that that makes up for it and i think what rick carlisle is doing there is pushing whatever buttons he can to get that mindset but at the same time jimmy i think he is he he has admitted this morning that they don't have at this point their strength that they don't have enough different areas of strength to be able to take one of them away a little bit if that makes sense and i do think there's some truth to the fact that halliburton is being guarded differently he's being trapped more he's being doubled more and he is still learning how to make up for that and Carlisle told a very interesting story this morning about the fact that when he, a lot of people forget this, when the Pacers in 99 went to the Eastern Conference, you know, that was the the strike year and they were the one seed and it was a fait accompli that they were going to go to the NBA finals. They were finally going to break through the ceiling and go to the finals. Now they were a year away from it. We didn't know that at that time. And they played New York and New York took Reggie Miller away a little bit. They used different ways to guard Reggie Miller. And yes, in the 2000 finals season, the leading scorer for the Pacers was actually Jalen Rose. And that had as much to do probably with Reggie getting freed up a little bit as anything because people then couldn't guard Reggie the way that they did. But they went back and they beat New York in the Eastern Conference Finals in 2000 because Reggie Miller figured different ways to get himself open. 
the ways that they were like doubling and switching on screens and it wasn't working anymore because they had figured that out so he had to come up with and reinvent different ways to get himself open and I think what Rick Carlisle is saying to Tyrese Halliburton is indirectly and I'm sure directly behind closed doors you've got to find different ways to get yourself open and I think that he figured out that while they definitely need to ramp up their defense Jimmy the reality is that Rick Carlisle is aware of the fact that the easier solution for them right now is to find different ways to reinvent getting Tyrese Halliburton in space and getting him his shots than it is to all of a sudden expect guys that didn't necessarily do it before to become like, you know, Scottie Pippen and Joe Dumars defensively. Yeah, I mean, you got to get your star player involved in different ways if they're taking away what you were used to doing stylistically but more importantly than that and I appreciate the I guess if you want to call it a walk back from Rick Carlisle when he spoke on the wake up call with KB and Andy today in that it's not a viable solution to slow down this team because they are so good offensively when they're on if you try to put them into a half court team and think that they're going to become better defenders that way it has a larger risk of working against you additionally they are capable of of playing the style they're playing while being an average defensive team. And if you want proof of it, look no further than what they were able to do in the in-season tournament. I understand it's not a seven-game series. I understand that a team like Milwaukee, a team like Boston would be able to adjust, but they put up 122 against Boston, outscored them by 10. They put up 128 against Milwaukee, outscored them by nine, and down the stretch of both those games, they had suffocating defense that allowed them to get on those avalanche snowball runs that closed the game. So they're capable of playing good defense. The question is, are they capable of doing it over multiple games, and are they capable of doing it over large stretches of games instead of just in these little bursts? And I think what's important in those two games that you just highlighted, the tempo was slowed down. The pace wasn't so frenetic but it either. W- but, it, but it was there at times, right? It right. definitely but as it's, a whole it's was slowed down. how they were solely sure. relying sure. on scoring sure. either. So the, the tempo was slowed down, the pace was slowed down, and they were still able to put up sure. 128. I, I just think, and I'm not trying to pick on Tyrese Halliburton, although I'm going to pick on Tyrese Halliburton. Sure. I, I think part of the, when the Pacers like all of a sudden had this magical like run where they became relevant overnight and suddenly like you've got you know, national talking heads talking about Tyrese Halliburton and this is the answer and this is the guy that's going to bring star players and, you know, all that. Yeah, he he was taking care of the basketball. Yeah. You know, like, he's a better basketball player than Gardner Minshew is football player, but Gardner Minshew, as we saw Sunday, is a, is a obviously any quarterback is, but when Gardner Minshew is in rhythm and he's kind of free-flowing, it's okay when he is learning to take care of the football. But with Minshew, you know... It, the, the the bugaboo was always when the the turnover was going to pop up. In the case of Tyrese Halliburton, there were the amazing thing of what he was doing was taking care of the basketball and not turning the ball over, and that's what was making it so incredible. His assist to turnover ratio was unbelievable. Now all of a sudden, because he is seeing different looks, he's forcing things a little bit, not just in shots, but in passes and in pacing. And as a result of that, it is becoming more careless in terms of his protection of the basketball. And he is turning the ball over with a higher frequency because I just think, and I get it. I mean, part of this is being, it's the learning process. 
And like I said, you knew when all of a sudden the Pacers and Halliburton, maybe it was fleeting, maybe it was just for a brief period, but you knew when they were going to be the spotlight was on them and the attention was there that they were going to have to learn how to play through it. And they will. That's what this growing pain is. But fortunately, they're not the Colorado Buffaloes where through smoke and mirrors, suddenly they were the talk of the national sports landscape. People figured it out and they never were able to adjust. I think the Pacers will be okay. It's a long year, but I'd rather have them go through that growing pain right now than do it when the weather is turning and we are in the first round of the playoffs. If Tyrese is the franchise player that we think he is, that I think he is, he's going to figure it out. This is just a rough stretch. Correct. But he, he, he's going well, to figure it and out. And part of that's the big contract and the, and the talent base comes with the fact that you are expecting yeah. and aware that there's going to be flexibility and maturation. Uh, Zach Osterman talking a little Indiana. That's going to be in 10. So how much of last night's Monday Night Football contest did you, Jimmy Cook, watch? And be honest. Final five minutes. Now, Eddie, you were in here producing, but did you watch? Did you have the game on? Yeah, I did once the Pacers game went final. Do we know the remaining, like, primetime Sunday Monday night games, or are they all, like, flexed at this point? I think the only one that... I mean, all games are flexible, right? But I think the only set of games that have TBD by them is week 18. That appears to be a blank slate of whatever they want to do. Now, you've got, obviously, the three coming up Monday night on Christmas. I have my my whole thing with that. Like, I'm going to go back to, and then I promise I'm going to be pom-pom NFL guy, okay? No, I'm irritated with them. I've been irritated with them for the last two years. I'm interested if it's the same thing. People here will disagree with me, and I get it. Okay. I get it. Hypothetically, if the Indianapolis Colts had a 1 o'clock home game, what time do most people... I'm curious if people... I think people are going to disagree with me here. I'd like to think maybe more people will agree with me than than I expect, but I, I think people are going to disagree and think I'm a sourpuss here, okay? If the Colts had a 1 o'clock home game, what time do most people leave their house? If 10? they live in the Indianapolis area, okay. I, you know what oh. I mean? I mean, I'm not talking about somebody coming in from Greensburg, but somebody lives in Marion or one of the donut counties. If the Colts have a 1 o'clock kick on a Sunday – they start preparing for or driving down at what time? 11. 30, 11. Call it 11. I think that's... I have a tailgate mindset in my head. Are I, we I saying gonna, they're just I, going to the game? No, I'm saying the average person. What is the average depart time of home for a 1 o'clock Colts game for an Indianapolis Colts fan? Yeah, 11. 10.30. I, I think Jimmy's closer. I think it's more like 10 or 10.30 because I think people do tailgate. I mean, I, I've done enough pregame shows to see how many people go down there and tailgate, right? Yeah. Which I get. But let we'll just say, we'll go with with Eddie eleven, okay? If the Colts had like, to me, the Christmas holiday belongs to family until at minimum four p.m. At minimum on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, both Christmas Day. All right. And I, I I understand, Jimmy. You made the point, like maybe people would be like, "Hey, guess what? Like for Christmas, open you you open your Christmas gift, and it's like your gift is we're going to the game. Pack 
go upstairs and change because we're leaving right now. I, I, maybe for kids, I get it. Did we talk about this last week? We talked about it. it, it we at, did, at yes. Okay, because I was going to say I didn't make that point, but that's fine. That was Continue. me. Point remains. I get what you're saying. But I, I just, I can't, for me personally, I get it. The NFL's king. People love going to the NFL games. I know that I'm spoiled because I get to go with a credit. I get it. I get all of it. But the Kansas City Chiefs having a 1 o'clock game on Christmas Day means that there are people that are leaving. Maybe people do it differently than my family. I don't know. But I think most people. At Arrowhead, you're leaving it. Like right. Gates will open at totally. like, what, 7, and like, 8, and I'm people sorry, are at but, 5. But like, call me a traditionalist. Call me like old-fashioned. Call me the, the fun police. Whatever you want to call it, fine. I'll take every arrow on this one. I'll die on this hill. I, on Christmas morning. Whether you are somebody with a young family, whether you're somebody who has aging parents, whether you're somebody that lives on your own, whatever it might be, assuming that most people have have somewhere to be, and I know not everybody does, but when you wake up on Christmas morning, it should be with your family, opening gifts, and celebrating the true spirit and meaning of Christmas, and not preparing to get and bail on everybody to go to an NFL game. We have two different takes on this. We're both mad at the NFL, but you're mad for very nice family-based reasons and i'm mad because it used to be the nba's day <laughs> well that too but but the nba though jimmy starts what time do they start i i feel uh, like one i feel like it's a, i feel like it's about the same i feel like one o'clock is about when first there's like four or five games i i feel like the, NF, Maybe it's the, the nba is more like in the later afternoon is it It could be 3 30 for first tip care if there's three games or four there's but i three. do think the nba culture also is it what time is it jimmy or eddie I'm looking now. Hold on. Because the NBA, though, it doesn't require, it doesn't have like the tailgating nature to it of the all day event. Sure. Like the NFL is an all day event. All right. There's five games. So 230, 5, 8. 230 is who? Uh, hold on. There's a game at noon first. So it's Bucks, Knicks at noon. Yeah. 230, it's Warriors, rough. Nuggets. I, I, again, I wouldn't do it. I mean, I wouldn't. I would not go to a noon game in the NBA. Just wouldn't do it. I met from sitting at home as a fan. No, I, 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 get, I get your. I point. get it. I, I get, get it. Well, two different things, right? right? I get your point about if you're in the city and you're trying to enjoy Christmas Day with your family, and instead you have to go. Like make I'm just. Hey, listen. I'll, I'll, I am free to admit. I will admit this on the radio. If you are somebody who by 10 a.m. is leaving Christmas morning to go with your friends to an NFL game and like tailgate and whatever else, I'm judging you. I. I am. I will readily admit it. What if there's a Christmas tree at the tailgate? <laughs> well, in that yeah, case, yeah. What if you were exchanging gifts at the tailgate? <laughs> no, I'm telling you, man. Where's where's where where are mom and dad for to open up my gifts that Santa brought me? Well, they're gonna do that. They're, they'll they'll be happy to see them later and help put together your bike. But first, they're gonna go to the game. Uh, Zach Osterman's next. I was so excited. To hear that song that I started it early, right? Now, you do know this this band, right, Jimmy? Yes, I do. Okay. Journey, right? Just bring Zach in. Uh, Zach Osterman joining us from the Indianapolis Star. And before we get to talking about Indiana athletics, the reason that we would have Zach on, first we have to get his entire breakdown of the Atlanta Falcons. Because Zach is, for those of you listening, and those of you that are saying, you know, I've never met a Falcons fan. Zach, you're a Falcons fan, right? Unfortunately. Now, they're not terrible, right? Well, I mean, they are. 
if if you just consider the historical context and the degree to which nothing ever changes, I think it is. But as we know in the NFL, Zach, we never talk about historical context. It's always about the current season, right? And currently in this season, they are – I always say the NFL right now, you've got like four really good teams, four teams that are absolutely terrible, and then a vat of mediocrity, right? And they're in that vat yeah. of mediocrity. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing you can hope at this point is that they – keep sinking further and further away from it so the draft is at least worthwhile. I think it's been a an otherwise pretty uh pretty pointless season, unfortunately. That was that was on I think it's fair to say that's on Falcons fans for expecting expecting more from a franchise that basically never uh, <laughs> delivers it. So you're saying you wouldn't have spent forty five cents to go to that game on Sunday? Uh no. <laughs> no, I'm confident I wouldn't have. Have we seen enough of Desmond Ritter to know that he is in fact not the long term guy, or are they still gonna give him looks? I mean it, it's hard to imagine and uh, you know, I don't know what Arthur Arthur Smith is thinking. It's hard to imagine taking away a guy's starting job twice in one season, particularly for, you know, pretty glaring turnover issues and still thinking he's kind of the you know, the future, if you understand what I'm saying. And I actually, you know, I mean, this was just my, I'm not going to profess to be some draft nick, but I, I liked the pick when they took him. I thought he was the, you know, kind of the, maybe the, I forget what that whole class looked like at quarterback, but it wasn't very deep. I thought he was kind of the, the best the Falcons could yeah, that's, do. Yeah, I do remember that. Because I remember, you know, he was, there was some discussion or link about the Colts, right? Yeah, I think so. And... The Falcons didn't take him to the third round, but that still felt like enough of a sort of statement of intent to sort of say this is a guy that we think is going to help us really long term. And I think it's fair to say that's not really happened. And, you know, now it, it, they do feel a little bit like a team that's probably too good defensively to think far enough down to get out of quarterback purgatory. But, you know, they had Matt Ryan for 15 years or whatever it was, and we know how that ended. And that wasn't Ryan's fault at all. So I don't know that – I don't know that – uh uh, a good quarterback is going to change the franchise's fortunes very much. Also, in your defense, Arthur Smith doesn't even know what Arthur Smith's doing, so it's okay. It's not. Don't, don't, yeah, don't try to feels, get down that wormhole. Increasingly, it feels that way, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, Zach, we'll stick with the gridiron theme and the theme of can a team that has gone in one direction for a long time turn it around? Talking about Indiana, um, you know, we've had a little bit of time now to get to know, maybe not personally, but certainly the confidence of Kurt Signetti. And, you know, coming in and immediately kind of putting his stamp on things. For those of us that don't, you know, are are not looking at it hour by hour, where do things stand for Indiana just in terms of kind of the roster flip for them and the players that they may have coming in and those in particular that were key that they managed to to hold on to? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, this is obviously always kind of a fluid thing in, um, in, modern college football, you've got the portal, you know, obviously transfer process has never been easier, all that kind of stuff. I think, um, I think from, you know, from Indiana's perspective, there was a point where I think they dipped under 60 scholarship players, maybe even under 55, um, just in terms of, you know, what was projected going forward. And that's not maybe super unsurprising again, when you consider the current climate and just the the turnover you're going to see after a coaching change, but they're back up. I think, in the low 70s now, which is good. I think they've really sort of retooled or restocked some key positions, particularly on offense. I think, you know, I think they've, I mean, they've taken, obviously they got Donovan McCulley back, which was a a really big keep. Uh, I think at one point it seemed very much like he was two feet out the door. 
They've also taken a flurry, especially just in the last like 24 hours, of receiver transfers um, in terms of just guys that were productive at places like Texas Tech, Ohio, Wake Forest, you know, career numbers that you would feel good about maybe as a, a number two or a number three receiver. They took Curtis Rourke, the Ohio transfer, who was very good for about two and a half, three seasons at Ohio. He's only got one year left, so you would imagine he's probably your, your bridge quarterback, so to speak, to whatever comes next. So offensively, I think they've done a lot in terms of restocking the skill positions, bringing back Carter Smith at left tackle, adding a couple more pieces along the line, probably still a little bit more to do. And in terms of total numbers, the roster is getting back toward full. It's you know it's important for programs like Indiana in this in, in this sense or this this scenario that there's no more uh, the counter limit is gone. You can bring in as many new guys as you need to now. I do think there's still some needs defensively as we are literally as we're speaking. I saw a tweet pop up. I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Michael Kamara um, coming over from James Madison. He had 17 and a half tackles for loss last season. JMU was pretty much the most disruptive defense in the Sun Belt last season, and Kamara was a part of that. He's a defensive lineman. I think they could stand to add a little bit more there. They could really stand to shore up a linebacker group that, that was kind of hit by expected uh, attrition as much as anything else. So defense is probably where you're going to see a lot more focus in, in the coming days and weeks, um, particularly, I think, in the portal. I think that you know there will be some high school guys that join in at some point, maybe in January, early February, but of course, most high school players sign in December now. So I think you'll see one or two um, high-profile additions between now and tomorrow, and then I would imagine a lot's going to be focused on the lines and defensive depth going forward. Zach Osterman covers all things IU Athletics. From the Indy Star is our guest. Zach, where is the line, and maybe it's too early to find that line, but where is the line between hyperbole of... IU football has completely been changed now before they've played a game with Kurt Signetti at the helm versus, no, he's really doing things to revitalize this program and get it on the right track. Where is that line in terms of overreaction to putting on non-rose-colored glasses and realizing, no, there are some good changes that are happening already in his short tenure? That's a good question. I think, I mean, it is undeniable that he has changed the mood, you know, probably more than I would have expected maybe any coaching hire to change the mood around, certainly any reasonable coaching hire, obviously, to change the mood around this program after everything it had kind of slumped for about three seasons. Um, there's, you know, obviously there's the stuff like getting the microphone at the basketball game and stuff like that. But I think what's what's much more tangible is, you know, it seems like he's been pretty bullish about taking the NIL number that he was handed out for a, a walk, and obviously that's going to help you with some impact transfers. That's also going to help you keep a Carter Smith or keep a Donovan McCulley and, and those sorts of um, those sorts of guys you're going to want to retain. Um, and I do, I mean, listen, it's it's so hard with the portal in particular because so many classes now are a blend of – you know, transfers and how do you sort of rate and rank transfers. And, and it's it's harder, too, with transfers because, you know, everybody needs something a little bit different out of a guy when, you know, they're recruiting him out of the portal, whereas a lot of high school players are still going to be, you know, largely unmolded clay skills and attributes and trying to figure out where their ceiling is and how to approach it. But, you know, I, I do think he's had a, a fair bit of success, if nothing else, just adding guys with proven production um, at places that were clear needs. So I think the roster piece of it is going well, though I do think it's incomplete. Um, 
You know, I, I think if I'm, I guess the best way I can answer that is to compare it to, you know, coaching changes I've been around in the past. I arrived at Indiana as a freshman, Terry Hetmer's first season. It does remind me a fair bit of that, the energy around it, the optimism. You know, Hepner uh, was was pretty sort of bullish and, and energetic and obviously uh, through, you know, sad and unforeseen circumstances kind of didn't get to see that through. But, you know, I think the Kevin Wilson's, you know, the, the coaching change to Kevin Wilson, I think people were excited, but I don't remember an energy level like this. And then obviously the Wilson to Allen thing was kind of a different sort of a different sort of change. So you didn't really see the same kind of energy, but um, I don't, I, I will say this, and I, I think this is probably the fairest way I can answer the question. I don't think I've, I've seen IU football fans this excited at this time of year without a bowl game on the horizon. And, you know, to, to, when you consider that obviously Signetti's got a history of success, I'm not trying to put the cart before the horse, but when you consider Indiana's got eight home games next season, um, you know, this kind of momentum is healthy to take into the new year. I think a lot of it, Zach, when you look at Terry Hepner, and I agree with you on the Hepner narrative, right? But unlike Kevin Wilson, unlike Tom Allen, unlike, for the most part, Bill Lynch, you know, Terry Hepner and the thing those two guys have in common, Signetti and Hepner, is that they came to Indiana after having built and been the CEO of a stepping stone program to come to Indiana, which gave you, A, the perception that this is where they really wanted to be, which is unusual for a guy with head coaching experience, and B, they had body of work where you felt more comfortable giving them the keys because they had already driven a previous car. Whereas those other guys all at some point have been a co-pilot but never had taken the wheel entirely on their own. And so it just creates a different vibe, if you will. Um, so, I mean, I agree with you on, on that. And I loved Hepner, obviously, like everybody. But I, I'm curious of this, Zach Osterman, Indianapolis star. The NIL, I mean, I, I have a general idea here. But for, the, for our listeners, when we hear about NIL money, Indiana's going to, you know, they got the money to, to get this receiver or this point guard or whatever it may be. Indiana's name, image, likeness funding that they have to be able to be creative, to get players to come there, the money is appropriated where? And it is distributed in terms of its percentages towards sport. How? So this is um, a lot of it, not all of it, the, the, the sort of, I guess, the 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 foundation of it is going to be the two partner collectives, Hoosiers for Good and Hoosiers Connect, which are kind of the charity side and the business side. They're they're under the same umbrella, run by the same people. That's that is the collective that um, Indiana basically more or less registered with the NBA or the NBA. Forgive me, it's been a long few days. The NCAA and said, you know, this is our official collective. This is the one that the you know the NCAA says, okay, you can work hand in hand with them. You can fundraise for them. You can promote them. You know, when you see Indiana at basketball games, throw the QR code up on the big screen that says, you know, support Hoosier athletes through Hoosiers for Good or Hoosiers Connect today. That's the official collective that Indiana's partnered with. And unless something has changed, each school each school basically just gets one. Then there's, you know, some other smaller efforts around that. Who's your hysterics have one. And then it's also worth saying athletes can still set up the one-to-one deals. I think we've gotten to a place right. where we talk so much about collectives that we forget that, you know, Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson had partnerships with, was it, was it 
First Merchants Bank or Merchants Bank of Indiana. Right. It was one of the banks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I get I get those two confused specifically. Forgive me. Somebody's listening and they're furious that the advertising didn't get through to me. And please understand, it's just because I have two small children who bleed my brain dry every day. Um, that stuff is going to be independent and it's going to be sort of athlete specific. So there's it, it kind of spreads from a lot of different places. When you talk about you know sort of it going to different sports and things. That's going to be something that the collectives, you know, kind of are primarily marshalling. And this has actually been some schools have had some pretty controversial sort of stretches with these. Penn State had one around the time uh, the, the the discussion of Micah Shrewsbury leaving for Notre Dame, sort of the suggestion that football was getting too much of the oxygen and there wasn't enough to go around to make other programs sort of, you know, give other programs the, the resources necessary to kind of get involved with NIL. Um, you know, this is all subjective. I, I have not talked to, you know, 50 power five schools and all their coaches and all their programs. My impression is that actually the Hoosiers connect and Hoosiers for good folks do a pretty good job of spreading around and, and getting a lot of different programs involved. I think just about every program at Indiana has had, you know, athletes on NIL deals through, through that collective specifically, not counting anything they might've picked up on their own. Obviously, it being just kind of a marketplace that everybody's still figuring out, but we can all imagine that, you know, basketball is going to get a little more resource. Football is going to get more resource. And this is the, this is kind of a new version of the debate we've had for, you know, 40 years, which is, you know, how much money do you allot for the sports that don't make money? How much money do you put into the sports that do make money that therefore pay for the rest of the sports that don't make money? And that's always kind of a balancing act, but, um, Again, it is something where you know you can you can work closely. You can't the, the coach still can't walk into the living room and say you know here's you know sign this piece of paper and you get X dollars or whatever. But what they can do is they can walk in with a very sort of liberal idea of these are the opportunities that are available to you. These are the sorts of you know these are the sorts of NIL opportunities our athletes have had in the past. And schools have even, you know, been, I think, more bullish SEC schools in particular, though I was able to confirm Indiana's number during the coaching search for football. Schools have become more bullish about kind of sharing overall numbers in terms of saying, you know, this is kind of the the overall sort of pot that we're drawing from. For Again, the SEC schools have done this the most, I think. And what was the, what was the Indiana number? At the time that uh, – and this was before Segetti was hired. It was in excess of $3 million. Now, there have obviously been a couple of big fundraising pushes around Segetti's hiring and all the energy we've been talking about and the momentum and the excitement. I wouldn't be surprised if that number's higher now. Um, but it was it was a little over $3 million was kind of the baseline number that Indiana was able to take into the coaching search and say this is the, the sort of resource level we're talking about you being able to have – um, as you go about building your roster year over year. And that's really what it is anymore. It's, you know, you can project some guys over three or four years, but you really are just kind of reassessing your roster every year now because guys will go in the portal and you have to, you know, you have to re-recruit guys and all those different kinds of things. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's higher now. And my, this is, this is just something I've sort of gleaned over, I don't know, a couple, really two years covering NIL now. Um, the marketplace is still settling. Everyone's still figuring out exactly kind of where it works. The number that I have come to most often for a competitive power five program that is somewhere south of the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States is like three to four, maybe three to $5 million. 
So I think Indiana is at least kind of entering that that territory based on the numbers. I understand, as with anything else, you know, as long as NIL is the thing that kind of rules all this, and we may get to revenue sharing eventually in the not very distant future, but for the moment it is NIL. As with anything else, you can never just sort of sit there and say, okay, we're done. You know, we've, we, we've, we've done enough. This will be enough forever. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if we see these numbers kind of continue to rise in the coming years. But Indiana does seem to have gotten to a place where it's, it's very competitive in terms of what it puts into football. Zach, what did Indiana do against Kansas that you liked? I know that they lost. Uh, Kansas is no slouch. They led most of the game. You could certainly have some issue with the way they closed and maybe even the rotation thereof. Uh, what did they do that you liked? I think there were a couple of things. First of all, I can, it continues to feel like McKenzie and Baca was figuring out where to get his points, where to find his game. You know, there was a lot of this discussion when he was signed that Indiana was going to give him a chance to play the three. Some people wondered if he was more of a four. At Indiana, he's got to be a three because they've got the two bigs down low that, that are, you know, frankly, right now they're two best players and complement each other so well. And I think, among other things, and he's probably still got to improve defensively and, and that sort of thing, but it seemed like Mbako was struggling to kind of figure out where his offense was in particular, you know, how to leverage all of his traits and his strengths and, of course, his size at six foot eight offensively when maybe he wasn't, you know, he was, he was having to drift around the floor a little bit more it's five straight games now. He's in double figures. That you know, until he got into foul trouble, I thought he looked assertive. He obviously hit a couple big threes. Um, he looked particularly dangerous in transition, which I think is something that, you know, for a team that we can have the whole three point discussion off to one side. This is a team that is going to be better the more it runs and the more it scores in transition because it's not as good in the half court. The, the more dangerous he looks in transition, the better Indiana is. And the other thing I like too, obviously, you can talk about Trey Galloway, the twenty eight points. He was outstanding. But it was also kind of the way Indiana adjusted to get him his points. Indiana was able to recognize in real time, whether it was Mike Woodson calling it out, whether it was an assistant in timeouts, whether it was just you know the players on the floor. Indiana was fairly quick to realize what Kansas was doing in defending its bigs and how Indiana could go to some of its, its ball screen actions. And in particular, it really loves this little sort of like baseline curl action with Trey Galloway because he's so good kind of eight feet and then he can finish well, but he's also got that little teardrop floater and he can throw the alley-oop. It went to that and just kind of kept exploiting Kansas's inability to, to, to read and react to those, those actions. And obviously that's what winds up getting him all those points. So I think, listen, I, I'm, I'm still, I, I don't know why I say, I want to say skeptical. Um, I need to see Indiana repeat these performances against you know, Big Ten opposition because now they have challenged themselves commendably, commendably in the non-conference, but they don't come out of the non-conference with anything really to show for it. But I do think you're allowed to be encouraged if you're an Indiana fan by what you saw Saturday. Zach Osterman covers all things IU Athletics for the Indy Star, joins us. Zach, when it comes to Xavier Johnson, I know that on Inside IU Basketball with Don Fisher last night, Coach Woodson said that it, he's, he's out. He's going to be out tonight, and they want to get him back soon, but they don't know exactly when he's going to be back. I realize the first answer is probably going to be, I don't know, so I'll ask that with a follow-up to it. Can we expect Xavier Johnson back by the Purdue game, which would be January 16th? And if the answer is, I don't know, or something else, who, who needs to step up the most while he's still gone, because you're acti- asking a lot of Gabe Cups, and he's he's managed the expectations at times, being the starter alongside Trey Galloway. But but where do you need more step up ability, if you will, from the guard play if Xavier Johnson is going to miss further time than just the four games with that lower body injury? 
Yeah, I think the first thing I would say is, even if Xavier Johnson was close to return, I don't think Indiana would, would really want to risk bringing him back for these sure, three games. Sure. I think I think Indiana, we, we saw this with Trace Jackson Davis last winter. I think Indiana would look at it and say, you know, we should be able to beat, we should be able to win these games. Even, you know, Moorhead State's not a pushover, um, but we should still be able to win these games without Xavier Johnson. So even if he's approaching health, let's just give him the extra time. We'll get him ready for Big Ten play. I would say if he's not back by Purdue, if he's not back by mid-January, then I think you, you do start to ask some more serious questions that I'm sure Indiana won't answer. And that's just kind of the, the push and pull of people like me in the media who sort of, you know, want to get that stuff for our readers and people like them who I don't necessarily always agree with it, but I at least understand why that kind of information gets held close to the vest injury information. If he's not back by like, you know, mid late January, then I think especially given how long the broken foot kind of went on. And I don't think this has to do with the foot from last year, but you just kind of say, Hey, is this another one of those where, it's just going to keep going, and, and week by week, it seems like he's getting closer, and he's never really able to come back. I think that's when you start to get that concern. With him gone, and I would say this anyway, but I think it's even more pronounced after Kansas. Um, I think you've got to look at Trey Galloway and say, hey, listen, most teams aren't Kansas, and we've been able to do some of these things that get you looks and get you points in the past. You think about you know, I, I think about his ability to get some key buckets. Obviously, Jalen Huchifino took the headlines that night, but his ability to get some key buckets and similar actions against Purdue at Purdue, the, the Northwestern game a couple of years ago where he um, where he, he scored, what was it, like 17 points, and Indiana had all those players suspended. I think you look at Trey Galloway and you say, hey, listen, you, you seem to kind of be looking for your offensive game a little bit over the first month or so of the season. The shot was that was there, the three-point shot last year, hasn't really translated this year. Seemed like he had maybe some issues a little bit around the rim. Obviously, probably figuring out how to play with a brand-new front court, too, and he's a senior, he's a captain. You know, there's, there's a lot more on Trey Galloway's shoulders and a lot more he's had to, just like any of his teammates, sort of learn through a roster that got, you know, flipped over, 50% of it got turned over last season, last offseason. But I think you're, you would be within your right, I think, if you're Mike Woodson, to look at Galloway now and say, hey, listen – you know, you did that against Kansas. You did that against Bill Self and Hunter Dickinson and, you know, whoever else, El Marco Jackson, Dewan Harris, whoever whoever was trying to cover you that couldn't. We don't need 28 points from you every night, but this needs to be a, a jumping off point for you. You know, you were so good kind of getting to the rim, finishing well, hit a couple threes. This needs to be kind of a, a moment for you, a little bit like McKenzie and Baco, where I think he kind of had a game like that maybe against Harvard, and really kind of kicked on from there. Trey Galloway needs this Kansas game to maybe be one where he says, okay, I can I can take my game back up a level offensively, at least until Xavier Johnson's back, and maybe give my team a chance, if Johnson isn't on the floor by the new year, to, to compete for some valuable Big Ten wins early in January. Zach, when you've um, – you still have family in the Atlanta area, correct? I do, yes. So, so when you're going driving back and forth, and maybe taking your kids there to visit family or whatnot, I, and I don't think I've asked you this before. If I have, humor me. Have you ever stopped and taken them to Rock City or Ruby Falls? I mean, I've been. I've never taken. We've, we've never. Are they, are they tourist traps? Do they suck? Or are they worth going to? I always enjoy Rock City, Ruby Falls. It's been a long time since I've been. Um, I always enjoyed Rock City. I've also heard just anecdotally. My kids are little, so like. 
once we're within sight of the finish line and we get on 75, like <laughs> I have no interest get, in getting off in Chattanooga. You get to Chattanooga like, just, just, and you got like two hours left. You're like, here we go, yeah, right? This, well, and like once you something changes with the drivers, once you hit the state line in Georgia, suddenly everybody's doing 88, and it's great. It's fantastic. You can just tuck yourself over in that middle lane on 75 South, do 85. You're not. Yeah, I mean they're all over. they're all rednecks and Dodge Chargers. I should hope, right? Yeah, well, it's it's. Hey, listen, you know those are my people. I'm I'll never speak <laughs> ill of them, and I get to drive faster. But no, it's. We used to go to Chattanooga a lot when I was a kid, and I've actually heard that just as a town, it's been really revitalized in the last like ten, twelve I love years. It. I love Chattanooga, and so uh, obviously Atlanta has the superior aquarium now. No, no questions, please. But uh, Rock City is a ton of fun. At least it was when I was a kid. And I'm guessing if I is it my just a, is Rock right City now, just a bunch deep. of rocks? Do you just go there and it's a bunch of rocks? What is it? Well, so there's, um, there are kind of, there's like a path carved out through a whole bunch of different um, kind of rock formations up in the mountains there. Cause obviously that's all, that's all part of the Appalachians, kind of the, the Southern end of them. There's a, in particular, there is a, um, this, this one big sort of, I don't know what you call it, like, like cliff, I guess, that's been sort of flattened out a little bit. And on a clear day, you're supposed to be able to see Tennessee, Virginia, oh, right. Kentucky, that's seven states, one of the right? in Georgia. Yeah. Something yeah they, like only, maybe they only have a billboard every five yards telling you that. It's like Brian Urlacher's well, hair deal on 294. And it's an interest. If I'm remembering the story rightly, and you'd have to double check me on this, but if I'm remembering the story, Rock City was actually opened during the Depression. And the guy who opened it kind of didn't really know how to get people to come see it. And obviously people didn't have money and all these different things. When you see the barns that they see Rock City, he just went to, you know, almost door to door to farmers and said, will you paint this on top of your barn? Right. I'll pay I've you. heard that. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of the a phenomenon, that. right? Yeah. And it, listen, my five-year-old would love it because there's a point where you can like pan for in finger quotes, gold and fine, precious gems oh, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So He'd absolutely love it. I, I like I said, it feels like it's only like a Listen, one or two hour detour. I don't think it's something that's going to eat up your whole day. Well, all but. I know is this: you threw some shade there at the Chattanooga Aquarium, and if you go to Chattanooga, which is a cool city, they're very proud of their aquarium. So that seems a little it stuffy. Is, it, uh, you know, it's fine. It's a great aquarium, and it's probably cheaper than the Georgia Aquarium. But if you've been to the Georgia Aquarium, as somebody who grew up going on field trips to the Chattanooga Aquarium, if you've been to the Georgia Aquarium, it's it has it has taken the aquarium game up a level. Now it's taken the aquarium. It is taking the aquarium price up a level too. But you know that, that, that's, that's actually it. just simply known as the sea level, just for what it's worth. But anyway. <laughs> hey Zach, Merry Christmas, man! And um, I know that you know the Falcons Colts will be interesting. I'm not going to say good luck to your Falcons, but uh, certainly yeah, if, enjoy if, watching. If the Falcons the game. had if the Falcons didn't have bad luck, they'd have no luck at all. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> all right, I, I appreciate it, man. Merry Christmas to you. You too. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star. Chattanooga's cool, man. I'm telling you. I went to a Chattanooga Lookouts game by myself coming back from uh, a family vacation in Hilton Head. I I came back early, and I'm driving, and I'm like, oh, look, there's a billboard. And I was staying in Chattanooga. I I broke up the drive in Chattanooga. I actually went the long way back from Hilton Head just to go through Chattanooga because I've always liked Lookout Mountain and all that. And I went to the Chattanooga Lookouts game. It was like two years ago. And it was it was college, it was college night. So like free admission with a college ID, whatever. Um, I didn't use my KU ID. I could have gotten in free. A one dollar beer night too. 
So what there was so it was basically what I'm getting at is it was one somewhat gray late 40s at that time I think still unemployed radio guy from Indianapolis and then like 1500 college kids that all were like doing cup stacks from their Meisterbrow collection for a dollar each. It's a good time. You participate? Uh, I, did, I, I did have a beer, and I asked the lady, I go, what kind of beer is this anyway? And she goes, I'm sorry, we're not allowed to tell anybody that. And I'm like, well, I, I, I'm, like, I'm, I'm having one of them for a dollar because it's a dollar beer night. And she's like, okay, fine. It's natural light. Like, okay. And then um, <laughs> they were playing, by oh, the way. it's water. What's that? Oh, it's water. <laughs> that's, that's right. They were playing the Huntsville AA team. Would you guys like to guess the name of the Huntsville AA team? Eddie Garrison, your guess is... Uh, where is Huntsville, first of all? The Jackrabbits. I don't know. You don't know where Huntsville is? No. Okay. Jackrabbits? Jackrabbits is a good guess. Why would I know where Huntsville is? I don't know because it's one of the 75 biggest cities in the country. Do you know where Huntsville is? This is your game, man. <laughs> so he doesn't. It's your game. Uh, I made my guess. Go with the Colonels. You're not familiar with Huntsville, the no. city of Huntsville. No. Okay. Colonels. Well, Colonels is a good guess, actually. Uh, Wait, how is Jackrabbits and Colonels both good guesses? Could you explain that to me? Well, Huntsville is a decent guess based on where it's located, but he doesn't know where it's located, so it's not sure. Uh, Jack Jimmy Rabbit, doesn't know where it's located way, either. I've, I've been to a town in Nebraska that has the largest Jackrabbit statue in the United States of America. Thank you very much. Um, actually, it's not in Nebraska; it's in Wyoming. The Huntsville Trash Panda. Oh, that was going to be my guess, and I didn't think it was Oh, Huntsville. is that really the team? The Trash Pandas, yeah. They, whenever I'm... Better known as the Raccoons. No one cares about this, but uh, whenever I play MLB The Show, I always name my team in like franchise mode, the Trash Pandas. Like I, I steal the logos, the uniform set, everything. Huntsville That's is awesome. in Alabama, by the way. Huntsville, Alabama has a huge rocket, uh, NASA rocket, right off the interstate on 65 as you're driving down. Well, they're uh, tearing it down. That's right there in Madison County, yeah. What's that? Know that? They're Wanted. tearing it down. They are. You just looked yeah. it up, didn't you? No, I knew that. Well, how did you know that not know what Huntsville is? Because I don't pay attention to the cities. When you I'm just driving. knew like there was a rocket somewhere and they were tearing it down and you didn't look to see where it was? No. Okay. Because they were tearing it down one year when Olivia and I were driving down to Florida. Maybe been last year or two years ago. I can't remember. You didn't that was notice, last year. You didn't notice like the big exit that said Huntsville? I, I was driving. I didn't pay that close attention. <laughs> okay. Well, did you stop at Bucky's? Yeah. Okay. Not, at least you got Alabama. Yeah. Last night at the Fieldhouse, since I always said I thought this was this song is about the, um, I always thought it was one wing dove. The Pacers just need one wing on defense, right? <laughs> that that would help Go a um, long way. Yep. One wing dove. There we go. That's 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 perfect. It's in that Jimmy, you weren't here last week. I was not. You're okay. Correct. Play play that again, real quick, Eddie. Not, not me, Stevie Nicks. Okay. Tell me what you honestly think she's singing here. Okay. Describe the dove. Here we go. I would have said wide wing dove. Wide wide wing dove. Oh, that's fair. See, I can get behind wide, not one. Play it again. I, I I can't be alone in this. Uh, 
It does kind of sound like a duh at the end there. That's the part mm-hmm. that takes out one for me. Up until that point, I'm with you, but then you can hear it a is, syllable. It's white-winged dove. I could hear a T or a D sound. Okay, it's, there you it's go. white-winged dove, yeah. Um, but anyway, last night, Pacers could have used a wing. I Here's what I decided. Between the Pacers and the Colts, I want to know this from fans. I'd like people to call in and let us know this, okay? If you were, I'm going to play, do we have any sort of like Santa music? I'm going to be Santa here. Santa Jake, okay? Was that me? make me and Eddie the elves? Of course. <laughs> or Rudolph. What do you can be Rudolph? <laughs> who's your favorite Who's your favorite reindeer besides Rudolph? Blitzen. Blitzen? Yeah. You think he's a drinker? Maybe. But I think he's fast. Or do you think he's a linebacker? Yes. Is that because he blitzes? Eddie? Correct. Correct. Who's your favorite reindeer besides Rudolph? Comet. Dasher's probably fastest. Comet, right? why? I don't know. You like his cleanliness? Sure. Or is he just a? Is he fast? That was the favorite of that uh, that Hailbop fella. Well, he's a nice. Uh, he's insulated, Jake. He's he's got a nice insulation. He's like to him. you, right? Yeah. Sturdy. You know, I don't know Reliable. if you guys know this or not, but my joke that I use every year is: if there's any sort of problems on Christmas Eve for Santa and the group, and they get stranded anywhere, Donner is the one reindeer that is guaranteed to survive. Just so you know, <laughs> you can look that up too, Eddie. Uh, I'd like to know this: if I'm Santa, if I'm Santa Claus. Santa Jake, and you can make a request for the Pacers or the Colts or IU or Purdue. Tell me what you what is your wish list for your franchise, for your team? Like Jimmy, for example, you are a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs, right? That is correct. Okay. So I'd like you, I don't want you to sit in my lap, especially because you're sick. And Eddie, you definitely, with your insulation, are not sitting in my lap because I'm old and I got a bad knee. But if you were to come and say to Santa, and you have to say, by the way, Santa Jake, please. All right. Okay? Do we have, like, Jingle Bell music or Holly music to play in the background? I want to get festive. Santa Query would fit the Santa Baby mantra, but I'm not trying to make it too uh, seductive here. You know. Okay. So, I would like for you to tell me what it is that you wish, you pick the team of your choice and then tell me what your team needs for Santa to bring him, bring them for Christmas. And I'm not talking about a Super Bowl win. I'm talking about something that your team right now, Santa can drop off at the team facility or the headquarters or the practice or whatever it is, and that's going to help your team get where you want it to be. I would like Santa Jake for Kadarius Tony to learn how to catch the football, Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver. That would be nice. Okay. That would be nice. And that would be the difference for them, right? I think so. Sky Moore's done. They, they put him on IR, and now Justin Ross is back in the fold. So, yeah. Or competent wide receiver play as a whole. Justin Ross got in some legal trouble, did he not? He did, and they I can't remember if they dropped charges or what happened, but he's been on the example list. They the last gave the weeks. charges to the other receiver, and so they were dropped, right? <laughs> exactly. What it was? Exactly. Okay. Uh, Eddie, okay. The team that you are picking, Eddie, is who? I will take, uh, I'll take the Pacers here. Okay. So, and now, who are you making this request to? Santa Jake. Thank you very much. And and what would you like Santa Jake to bring your Pacers for Christmas? Defense. Just defense. Santa Jake works more specifically than that. <laughs> a wing that provides defense, a little bit of shooting, and is willing to rebound. Okay. So, you want Santa Jake to bring you Paul George is what you're saying, Paul right? George would be fantastic. I think he'd be a nice fit. Like a glove on a hand, so they're not cold. 
Uh, hey, Jake. Please, do we have Holly or Jingle music at all? Why are you looking at me? Like ching, 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 like little jingles. You know, for the, I mean, the, I feel like we could easily do a spirit. quick like, search. Like if, you, if you do, see, you guys can't do it because you're all stopped up. But if you if you breathe in, you can smell evergreen holly in the air, right? So like just a nice holly jingle music in the background to get us all in the Christmas spirit. I think Christmas because instrumental would do I'm it, feeling, I'm feeling Christmassy, right? I'm feeling like Santa Jake. You come, we're at the mall, you tell me what it is that you would like, and and we shall see what we can do to deliver. We offer no promise. While Eddie finds that music, um, I'll be uh, Santa Jimmy, I guess. Uh, gentlemen, here are your English phone booths. Oh, look at that. Look at that. It is a, uh, it's a coin bank. Jimmy delivering. It's a, it's a coin bank. I don't know if these you still are nice. use coins, but... Did you, now did, I actually, there's one of these right by Big Ben, right? Did you make a, did you go in and try to make a phone call? Correct. Now, fun fact, Jake, and this happened during travel, I apologize. You got to put the, uh, the bottom of it back on. It's right there in the box. Rose, it's bad presentation on my part, but I realized that. Go again. Beautiful. Well, this oh. is lovely. Little English telephone booth for you. Uh, I'm actually, was for your my box change. tampered with? No, that's the, uh, look, man, it's a long journey. They lost their program, luggage. Eddie. I, I apologize. I did not tamper with your box. There's always that one kid, right? <laughs> Hold on. So the, and then you do this, right? Yep. Then you drop your coins up top. And then when you need your coins out, you just, <laughs> broke it, you just lift it, right? <laughs> there's a chance. This is tremendous. There's a chance that the uh, uh, the transportation process failed me. Apologize. So you are Santa Jimmy, bringing us the. I am indeed. The, thank you very much. We continue our trend, of course. Okay. Um, so Eddie, I, you're the next international traveler. It's on you next. So clearly, I can get a phone booth, but not Christmas music. Uh, okay, so there we go. There we go. Thank you. Perfect. See, doesn't that get you in the spirit right now? It does. Yeah. I'm ready. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing out a Santa hat on Friday. Oh, you are? Oh, yeah. Not a full suit, just a hat. Uh, hey, Jake. Please bring... Now, this is an Indiana basketball fan that has their request for Santa Jake. What do you think an Indiana basketball fan is requesting? Three-point shooting. Please bring any shooters for Indiana. <laughs> it's a good wish. Now, for your Indianapolis Colts, I would like for a Colts fan to call in and make a request to Santa Jake. There's got to be somebody that has a request for what the Colts need. What do the Colts need down the home stretch here? And you can't call in and say, uh, I need a win against Atlanta. I'm talking about what is the team missing that is going to be the final ingredient to put them over the top. And put them where they need to be. I'd like a healthy Jonathan Taylor the rest of the way. No more injury bug towards JT. I don't know if that's enough, but that's a request off the top. San Santa can't perform miracles, Jimmy. Well, I guess he can, right? He's Santa. Come on. He can do whatever he wants, right? I thought so. It's the magic of Christmas, like, Jake. Don't you feel like right now we're in the mall, the elves are walking around, Santa is sitting in his chair. Yes. You can smell the aroma of the, the holly in the air. Yes. That's what I'm hoping way. for here, right? Still think Eddie should sit on your lap, but that's neither here nor there. All right, Derek, tell me what you want for your Colts. And Derek, you know how you have to begin your request, right? <laughs> How's that? Who are you making your request to? I am making my request to Santa Jake. Thank you very much. And Derek... Oh, Santa Jake would like to know, it is the Colts that are on your wish list, is that correct? 
That is correct. Okay. So what are you wanting Santa Jake to bring to your Colts that you feel will put them over the top to get them where you'd like to be? I want them I want Santa Jake to bring the Gardner Minshew that played on Saturday, the Gardner Minshew that didn't turn the ball over and made good decisions. And I think that will propel us to the, the playoffs and I will be able to go to a home playoff game for the first time since 14, I think, was the last time I went to one. Okay, that's fair. Now, that's an excellent that's call, Derek. I appreciate yeah. it. And, and Sansa Jake says Merry Christmas. Perfect. A Gardner Minshew that doesn't turn the ball over and plays at the same level is perfect. It's a, see, Derek did that perfectly. That's exactly what we're looking for here. Santa Jake feels right now like the work in the toy shop has <laughs> is paying off, right? If he plays like that and they host a playoff game, I will I'll be eating crow because I would have thought it was going to be a rough well, playoff game. Santa Jake for them. will bring you some sauce. Please, please bring me some sauce, Santa Jake. Okay, Glenn is up next. Glenn, Merry Christmas. Who are you making your request to, Glenn? Merry Christmas, Santa Jake. I'm making my request for <laughs> Purdue basketball. Okay. Uh, excellent, Glenn. And your request would be what? All right. I would like uh, five less turnovers per game and 38% three-point shooting now, or Glenn, above. Now, Glenn, here's the, only, the here's the only problem with your request, Glenn, and I certainly appreciate the bravado with it, but Santa Jake flunked algebra, so the percentages are going to be difficult <laughs> to try to squeeze through, but but I'll Ooh. see what I can do. How's that? I, anything you can do, Santa. <laughs> I will, Santa will put in a good word for you. Very much appreciated on the call, Glenn. I like anybody that calls in about Purdue basketball named Glenn because it's only the name of the, in my opinion, greatest <laughs> boiler of all time. All right, Bill is up next. Bill, Merry Christmas. Is Bill there? I'm here. Okay. You there? Yes, Bill, you are making your request to who? Santa Jake. <laughs> okay, Bill. What would you like Santa Jake to bring to your Colts? I would like a clone of Kenny Moore on the other side of the field. <laughs> that is not a bad call. Pushing the boundaries not a bad of Santa's call, Bill. I like that. Now Santa Santa's not necessarily known as a, you know, like a biologist or a chemist, but I'll do what I can because I like it. Now, the other thing Santa Jake might be able to do is perhaps bring back a healthy Juju Brents, but there's no promise there, right? But it would certainly help. No doubt. Uh David. Hi David, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Santa Jake. <laughs> Yes, sir. Okay. And you would like for what, David, and for what team? Oh, for my Colts, I would love a defensive run that we had back in 2006. Ah, so you're looking for – now, here's the thing, David. Santa Jake remembers fondly some 17 years ago when little boys and little girls that were on the good list all had a request about a defense for the Colts that could push them over the top, in particular after the embarrassment of Maurice Jones-Drew running all over them late in the year in Jacksonville. So many, I, I many remember people, that fondly. David, many people believe that Santa Jake reached into his bag to bring out a healthy Bob Sanders. But what Santa Jake <laughs> actually did that many people don't realize is he delivered Booger McFarland. And Booger McFarland was the key in the middle that opened things up, freed things up, shut down the run, and then, in fact, your Indianapolis Colts brought you, courtesy of Santa Jake, a Super Bowl and, of course, the rain in Miami. So I'll see what I can do to try to bring some sort of a run stop for you. All right, David? Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Again, see, I like how people are participating here. I know this is supposed to be 
a joyous time, but you notice how all the callers, there's there's almost a bit of regret that they have to say Santa Jake. Like the level oh, of no, holiday no, confidence no, 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 is no, People love that. They do? That's, okay. No, right. no, no, no. I misheard. We, we, we've had research done it's with this. my headphones. This. That's on uh, me. And, I apologize. Yeah, no, kids love it in, in particular. <laughs> we, we've done a lot of research on this, and I I remember, as a matter of fact, in August, people were coming up to me. They call me Santa Jake when I'm out, you know. Uh, Rick. Hi, Rick. How are yeah. you? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too, Santa Jake. <laughs> thank, thank you. Now, now, do you have a request here, Rick? I, I do, uh, and I think about the miracle. Was it the miracle on 34th Street? Maybe this could be the miracle on Virginia Avenue or something, but something along the lines of uh, more money for the Indiana University football transfer portal. <laughs> This would be the miracle on 17th Street is what it would be, right? That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. The miracle on 17th Street. So, Rick, you, you, now, now, Rick, I like this. Now, Santa, as you know, Santa likes little little girls and boys that have all been good, right? And in particular, Santa loves to help those that have, have are, are trying to, you know, find happiness and joy in the season. And if you, Rick, are actually willing to ask Santa Jake for an Indiana football, again, Santa not necessarily always doing miracles. But you you move to the top of the list because clearly you are a, a boy of great patience that you've been waiting for this for Indiana football for years, right? Just like a Cubs fan, yeah. <laughs> Rick, I'm guessing, by the way, this time of year you don't even feel cold when you go outside because you are so thick-skinned from years of this, correct? Uh, I run out to the mailbox in my pajamas and uh, <laughs> and a uh, long sleeve shirt. All right. Well, Rick, we wish you a Merry Christmas, and I'll see what I can't do for you. Santa All Jake right. will work for you based on your patience over the years. See, again, people love this kind of thing, Jimmy. I'm telling you. Santa Jake works miracles. I do what I can. Is the phone booth faulty? I'm, no, I'm just trying to get the – here's the thing. Santa Jake is trying to save his his coins for because Rick would like them for the Indiana football <laughs> NIL program. So I have my little phone booth here, and I'm trying to get them all saved up. I want to make sure that we're doing the right thing, right? Uh, we might do a, a few more Santa Jake calls. I like this, right? And, and I'm going to see if I can fix the phone booth as well. Jimmy, I think you were gone when I asked the question on the air that seemed to stump the masses of what's what is the most prominent Christmas Carol that actually has nothing to do with Christmas. Well, in the were you, were you here when I asked around that? November? You asked us off air what our favorite non-Christmas one was. Right. I said Winter Wonderland. Yeah, that's probably sleigh um, sleigh rides up there for me. Yeah, but the, you know, there's Jingle there's, Bells would qualify, right? Yeah, I don't think Jingle Bells mentions Christmas. I don't believe right? so. Yeah, there's more than you think. I know it's like half and half. Yeah. To be honest with you. Uh, this from J-Law, which is pretty good. Uh, Dear Santa Jake, please actually bring Indiana three-point makers, not just shooters. <laughs> that's a good, that's an important. That is good. Yes. You gotta, that's a, you gotta uh, close the loopholes. Uh, this from Brett. I'd like for Santa Jake to bring the Pacers GM, Kevin Pritchard, the ability to go all in and make the changes necessary with Herb Simon's open wallet. They got plenty of space, man. They got a lot of cap space. A lot. Uh, Steve going to join us. Steve, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Santa Jake. I have a request for 16th in Georgetown. Okay. I would like to have Larry Foyt to have a huge sponsor so we don't have to keep changing drivers and causing traumatic injury to all of the 
Floyd drivers for lost uh, loyalties every year. Now that, Steve, now they had ABC Supply for a long time. It was one of the longest-running sponsors in the series. It was a great partner. And then once they lost that, you are right. They, they've, they've had some ride buyers, right, that they've got to pay off. Um, and I, I like Larry Foyt a great deal. So I'm Santa Jake will do what he can for that because Larry Foyt is a really good dude, and that's been a really loyal team to the series. So I can, it, I can it, get on board with that, Steve. It causes much trauma to have to change your allegiance to every time we go – to the track and so i would just like to have one driver okay all right steve i'll see what santa jake we'll see what he can do there okay i appreciate it can i make a request to dj eddie elf <laughs> I uh, I liked the last flow of Chris's music. We've suddenly gotten down to a very like. Do you feel like you're walking through Von Bar? <laughs> I, I do. I do. I've always wondered, yes. like, by the way, when you're walking through and they have the chimes, sure, thing, like in Macy's. Yes. Like, what are those? Is it like a secret code for somebody? Is it? Is somebody shoplifting? When every time you hear that, my late mother would know. I've Many always a shopping to know trip that. was spent as a young cook lad throughout Macy's and or Von Bar. Always wanted to know that. Uh, Warren. Warren, you are on the air. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Hey, I'm from Tree City. You're from where? Tree City. Did you say Tree City? Yeah, Greensburg, Indiana. Oh man, Tree County players, baby. Did you go to did you now did you go to South Deer what's the high school there? South is it Dearborn? Or Greensburg. Or, you went to Greensburg High School. Okay, what year? Yep. 2012 was when I graduated. Okay. You're a youngin'. All right. The, the tree was already long around by then. All right, Warren, uh, Merry Christmas to you. What's your request? Um, Michael Pittman to come back. Now, now Warren, you're making this request to who? Uh, Santa Query. <laughs> close. <laughs> Warren, you're close. We'll take it. It's Santa Jake. All right, Michael Pittman, I'll, do it. I'll, I'll see what I can do. And Merry Christmas to you from down there in Greensburg. Tree County, baby. Way to go, DJ Eddie Elf. All right, Love two it. more real quick. We're going to flush them real quick. Justin. Justin, Merry hey. Christmas. Merry Christmas, Santa Jake. I I would like to request uh, a national championship for the Purdue Boilermakers this year. Well, Santa takes one step at a time. He'll try to he'll try to bring you some good, reliable guard play in March underneath the Christmas tree. All right. L- lastly, are we doing line four roulette style, Eddie? Roulette style, you are on the air. What is your name, sir? Or or madam? Bert in Fortville. Bert in Fortville. All right, Bert. Uh fortunately that's on Santa's map. Do you have a request? Uh no, but I know what the dings are that you hear in Macy. <laughs> oh, really? Now what is it exactly? So I'm walking around and I can hear the dinging. What what am I hearing? Each department has a manager if you will like electronic clothing right. hardware whatever it may be they have their own manager working and anytime one of those managers needs to be contacted which is very frequently each manager has their own specific set of tones almost like morse code <laughs> wow <laughs> is that is that a lot easier than just going electronics please electronics yes yeah, sir they they need someone specific all right. They just don't want customers hearing, you know, Burt Brown. That's the difference between Walmart and Macy's right there. That's what that That's is. Right. All right, Burt, I appreciate it. Thanks for right answering on. the tone. Um, we might do a little more Santa Jake in the in the last half hour of the show. I kind of enjoyed it. But Scott Agnes is going to be joining us next. Actually, Lloyd Pierce at 2.30 as well. But Scott Agnes up next. Talk a little Pacers. Pacers last night were in a giving mood. 
at the Fieldhouse, giving up over 150 to the Clippers. Fieldhouse Files is where you can read the work of Scott Agnes. Also hear him on this program and read him a variety of different places. He joins us now on the show. Uh, Scott, first off, I, I'm assuming you were not listening to the program, so we've I, I've become Santa Jake, where you can make your sports request and your your wish list for Christmas for the team of your choice. Now, if you were going to do that, you would pick what team and what would be the thing you would ask Santa Jake for that was that would be <laughs> able to put your team over the top. Can I negotiate and have a general thing in terms of just health for star players in this city? Because it seems like when things well, start Scott, to get you, good, you may. But here's the thing: you have to re- okay. you have to begin it with my request, Santa Jake, yeah, and then you have to stroke his request. ego a little bit. Yeah. So so go ahead. We'll start over again. That's okay. First time's always toughest. Go ahead, guys. Santa Jake, my yes. request here for Santa Jake on our first time meeting is that star players in the city of Indianapolis have good health because every time something starts to be going in their way. Something negatively happens from Peyton to Danny Granger to Paul George, Andrew Luck, the list goes down. I want Indiana sports fans to enjoy their players. Okay, fair. Now, I will say Peyton Manning was quite the Iron Man. San- Here's the thing, little Scotty. Santa Jake knows that you can't please all little boys and girls. And, and, and for years, for many, many years, for like, as a matter of fact, I think it was for like 12 in a row, Santa Jake did what he could to keep little Peyton healthy and it worked and then one thing happens and suddenly all of a sudden Santa Jake was on everybody's naughty list and that was tough that was a hard thing for Santa Jake to learn but we'll, but I'll do what I can how's that I appreciate it <laughs> if you want to get more basic and probably what you thought I was getting at Santa Jake it'd be for the Pacers to play some semblance of defense man the rest Scott, of the it's it, look I, I almost feel like Rick Carlisle because of the fact that, you know, yesterday after the game, he was pretty candid about, look, if we got to change lineups, we'll do that. Like, he, he he definitely sounded frustrated last night. He walked it back a little bit today by saying, I don't know that the answer for us is to slow things down because we have to run a, a, at a high pace offensively to, do, to be who we are. But it is obviously of concern. If you were – and I know last night you had no Nimhard, you had no Miles Turner. That does make a difference, Scott. But the biggest culprit is where? I mean, what is what is this, the, the leak that is causing this defensive breakdown night in and night out? The best player on almost every team, the most valuable position is what? Small forward, right? Six foot seven wing. That's the thing the Pacers have lacked for the last several years. And so that's the player on, on basically every team they face that torments them, that goes for 40, that goes for a season high. Um, just because they don't have anyone that can stop him individually. That's why, like last night, a lot of people were like, you're making excuses. Because first of all, I started at their incredible trip that they're coming off of. Seven games in 12 days, so many travel issues and those sorts of things. The the reality is the first game back at home is always the worst. Now throw that out the door and consider last night you had Hall of Famers like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, like – the Pacers couldn't stop any of those guys individually on any given night if they had four days rest. So everything went against them last night. And they have, yes, they have Neesmith. They have a Bruce Brown, who I would say is a little bit of a disappointment defensively considering what you are paying him, the highest-paid player on this team. But without Nemhard, without Turner, and a group that has not been able to come together defensively, it, it, last night was the most predictable outcome of the season for the Pacers. You know, the... 
the thing about just their defensive, Scott, you know, talking about like a wing, a wing defender, a six, seven wing mm-hmm. defender, and I'm beating a dead horse here, but I was saying it. it. Give me your perspective on this. He has a player option at the end of the year. He had talked about when Tyrese Halliburton did a podcast with him that seeing some of Halliburton's big moments made him feel nostalgic. He's made a lot of money. Is there any chance Paul George entertains the thought of coming back here for the twilight of his career, or is there any chance that the Pacers even entertain that conversation with him? The ironic thing here is he is literally exactly what they need. I know. The trouble is, one, doesn't fit the timeline at 33. So, right, you're paying him for, what, years 34 to 38, which doesn't match at all where Tyrese is 10 years younger. The other thing is um, I haven't had a chance, you know, talked with him or anyone around him lately, but, like, look, he's, he's, he's an L.A. guy through and through. He loves being home. He's settled in nicely. He's one of the faces of that Clippers team. They're moving into a brand-new arena. His parents are right there. I'm not sure there's anything that'll get him out of L.A. Well, they're getting ready for a rebuild, though, aren't they, the Clippers? I mean, like, does he want to go through all that again? It all depends how drastic Steve Ballmer, the owner, goes with this. And I, I can't see it being going too far, Jake, here because of the new arena. Like, you got to have players to sell the new arena, the new tickets, that new experience, too. Like, everybody will want to attend for one year, but then it'll wear off. So, it's with Steve Ballmer being easily the richest owner in that league, I don't think you'll see anything like a true rebuild like the Pacers kind of are even going through right now. I just don't think he'll tolerate it because he can afford not to. Now that's Steve Ballmer's the excitable fellow, right? He jumps around Absolutely. a lot and stuff like that. Yeah. He, yeah, he's worth like ninety billion, like something unreal. That's why he's jumping around all I'd the time. I'd be jumping around too, right? I got news for you. Yeah, Steve doesn't have to just get on the radio to play Santa. You know what I mean? I mean he you know, he can he can deliver his own goods. Um all right, let's begin with Scott just from a health standpoint the return of a few players that I think, you know, obviously some of the guys that are out have been important. Um, number one, we'll begin with Miles Turner. The injury that kept him out last night stands where and when? what is his timetable? Yeah, I have not get, gotten anything for certain on him. It's, a, it's a, a, a title for a injury that I have not heard before, bilateral hamstring, which I think is going into your glute. And I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's a fall or what have you, but I do know the timeline of it suggest kind of he woke up sore maybe it was uh something from a previous game that he felt yesterday afternoon when he was added to the injury report there and of note it was just his first missed game last season or or of this season rather uh Andrew Nemhart I talked with late last week and he was feeling much improved he was grateful that you know his injury which looked awful down on the court there in Las Vegas was not as bad as he feared, like an ACL, an Achilles, something like that. Um, it is to his left knee. He was hopeful there's a chance he could return this week. That might push it a little bit, but I think he's short-term. I think it, you could see him here in the next week or so. Uh, and Jalen Smith, to be determined, I watched him before each game out in Vegas, and you could see him do a lot of things uh, like himself, but it was the cut movements. It was when he made it sharp moves from left to right, uh, laterally, the Pacers had one of their athletic trainers watching the whole workout. He couldn't quite complete it comfortably uh, without grimacing on his face, kind of it's in that ankle region where he has a heel contusion. So uh, I think he's getting closer, but not quite there yet, but no firm timeline on any of the guys. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files is our guest. 
Scott, a lot of people, Pacers fans included, anxious whenever you have a player that's drafted as high as Jairus Walker was for when is he going to arrive consistently at the NBA level. And, and it's been well documented, right? There's a bit of a log jam there. How do you find minutes for him? My question isn't when he arrives. My question is, how do you judge G League play for what the league is right now? I know the showcase is going on in Orlando. They're in a tight one with the Capital City Go-Go. And just focusing on today, 28 points for him, 10 of 18 from the field, 5 of 9 from beyond the arc. He's looked really efficient on the glass. How do you gauge G League play in today's NBA for when a rookie slash younger player might be ready for a bigger test at the next level? Yeah, and to, to make note of how big this event is for those in the league, the Pacers have their full executive staff, all four of them down in Orlando. It's a great place heading into the trade deadline for executives to quietly discuss things because there's no fans. So it's, it's a pure basketball venue versus, you know, summer league like you've been at where it's more marketing and entertainment. Right. It's more like but, the old Orlando summer league, right, in terms of oh, the way exactly. this event's set up. Yeah. And that was phenomenal. So this is just in a convention center, eight courts, pure about basketball with media agents and, and team executives. So a lot of conversations that might be finalized, let's say, in a couple minutes may start right here. But in terms of Jarris and how you gauge him, I think the best representation beyond the numbers, because you're going to get that when you're playing against less, lesser competition, I'm looking more so of wh- how does he react? What is his confidence level? What is he – does he get into the flow of the offense? What defensive reads are, are he making? Because, yes, he should be one of the best offensive and defensive players on the court. Um, is, he, is he making his teammates around him better? Those sorts of things. Or is he simply being outplayed, which he isn't. But if he was, that would be a big red flag there. So, yes, he's going to score. Any of these guys should. If you remember, like Solomon Hill did, Joe Young did. Uh, Joe Young always joked, but he was being dead serious, actually. I'm way too good for the G League. Don't send me back there. I'm too good, which is great because, yeah, he'd go there and drop 35, but then that shows the difference from the G League to the NBA where he couldn't even get in games. So you want to see Jairus produce. You want to see him make reads and do things very similarly to how Rick Carlisle and the coaching staff with the Pacers is working with him daily on. Scott, what um... – I guess what needs to to happen is probably the wrong way of asking it, but what have you seen from Ben Shepard that you like or don't like, and do you think that he gets more involved within rotations? So the thing I like about him is all those things I just outlined are exactly what you can count on him every single game. For one, he's a little bit older. He's a little bit more mature, four-year guy from Belmont, but when you talk to Rick Carlisle about Ben, what you get from him is just you know what you're going to get. He's solid. He's sound. He's predictable. He's an energy guy. He's a sure thing in terms of what he's producing. The trouble is they just have a plethora of guards in front of him. However, if you talk about Rick and, and not his threat, but his thought of, all right, maybe we need to try something different. Maybe we need to do different lineups. This is the second time Rick has brought this up. He did so at a practice. I want to say about a month ago where he basically said, hey, I need to start seeing improvement or I'm going to consider all my options here. And one of those, you're right, absolutely could be putting Ben out there where you know he's in there to be a surefire three-point shooter and also defend. What if all of a sudden you have a lineup of like Nimhard, Shepard, Neesmith, uh, Turner, and, you know, and figure it out from See, there? I was Probably just going to ask, Scott, I was just going to ask you, yeah. who would be their be- – if, if the Pacers had a game – Herb Simon comes to Rick Carlisle, says, Rick, 
I got a friendly wager going on with Chad Buchanan about whether or not we can limit a team to fewer in a game than 100 points. So put out your best defensive players, and there's a bonus for you from Santa Herb, right? <laughs> so if that were the case, then what players does Rick Carlisle put out there? It's interesting you mentioned this because this was kind of a discussion mentally I had in the offseason. Like, that you look at this roster and there's so many offensive talented players and a handful of defensive talented players, but they don't overlap. Right. So if, if, if Herb Simon wanted to see the defensive group and said, forget it, I just want to go back to the principles and have a defensive minded group, you'd have Nimhard, Bruce Brown, probably Ben Shepard, Neesmith at the four, which many people around the league have been pushing, hey, we need to see Neesmith at the four. Like, uh, moving forward. And then, of course, Turner at the five. I think that would be the five you'd go to from a defensive standpoint. Of course, I guess at that point, Scott, the, and I'm saying this be, to kind of cast a light on the defensive situation with Indiana, the situation there, if that were the case, is then you start to become really thin on your bench in terms of defensive-minded defensive, defensive minded players, right? Yeah. What, what more, Realistically, what you could talk about is, say, the final five minutes in a game. If you need some defensive stops, you could trot out this lineup. I don't think it's realistic to you know move forward with a group like this. And on top of that, you're going to want Halliburton out there for 32, 35 minutes per game. Um, we saw last year where oftentimes they'd alternate offense defense with him and McConnell. Uh, and you could at some point include McConnell maybe even amongst this group just because of his, his peskiness, ability to get a, under opponent's skin, and just the energy level he boosts. If anything, maybe you'd move Hemden into the starting lineup with if we're talking about this hypothetical group and bring Shepard off the bench as one of those defensive guys. But it, doesn't that say a lot that we're going down this route? But that's truly – been the story of this Pacers right. season is sure. not being able to get stops and not having quality defensive lineups. Pacers beat writer for Fieldhouse Files, Scott Agnes, is our guest. Scott, when you look back at the early portions of this month, their wins over Boston and Milwaukee and their ability, like you mentioned, get stops not only in just five-minute bursts, but, but do it over the course of a game in a more efficient manner than they've done the rest of the season. Are those two games anomalies? Or are they examples of, no, when they lock in, they are capable of still playing a high pace brand of basketball while also being effective on the defensive end? I, I think they, they have a chance to be mediocre, and that would be a huge step forward. That's all sure. I want to see right now. Like right now, they're horrible. Um, give up the most points in the league. They're being outscored by four points per game. So we talk all about this offense, and yet in the aggregate in December games, they've been outscored by an average of four points per game. So you can score all you want. If you don't get de- have defense, there's your issue. And on top of that, I, I prefaced my- this whole conversation earlier uh, about their-, their travel schedules and all that. And that's important to point out. However, you know what does travel is your defense. You can rely about rely on that. Their offense, that's, that's one thing that can be an issue, you know, game to game. Maybe Buddy Heels doesn't hit shots, then he does. You just need this team to be, I don't know, could you be 22nd in the league, just not 30th in points given up and defensive rating. That's the progress. That's what we're looking for. We're not asking for them to be a top 10 defense. That's not realistic because what this all does go back to, guys, is it's a personnel issue. Uh, you, you could foresee this coming entering the season. I expected it to be a little better than now. But the only big upgrade defensively was Bruce Brown, and that was it. 
Scott, I, I and I apologize, I know I threw offense in there as well, but I meant just defensively, I felt like they were playing at the level you and other Pacers, writers, fans, whatever, are asking mm-hmm. for during the in-season tournament, especially against Boston and Milwaukee. Were those flashes in the pan, or is that what they're capable of? Like, Is that something you can point to and say, no, we, we are a team that's capable of being average or, or slightly above on a nightly basis, we just have to put it all together? And it, are, are they that of, close to that? I guess is what I'm saying. Like those two games, they were able to close late, especially right. on a defensive end. Is that something that's repeatable, or was that just well, lightning strikes every now and again for this team? Like, are they capable of being <laughs> that? You can't say high level, but that decent defensively, like they were in the in season tournament. As a whole, no. Defensively, I don't see them doing that reliably because they just haven't. I think, in the from a general standpoint. The, the in-season tournament was made for a team like the Pacers. They got up for those games. They treated those like the biggest games of their career because it was. And so, so I think we saw them rise to a different level. The money was a motivator. I, I just don't see, we, think we could see that um, from the, on a night-in and night-out basis, at least right now in the way in which we've, we've only seen those small glimpses, Jimmy. That's, that's the small sample size we have to go off of. So I don't foresee any more. Now, we could see some more want to. You could see some guys hustle a little bit more. But a lot of it is a personnel and scheme concerns. Scott, offensively speaking, Tyrese Halliburton, is he forcing things too much? Is he getting – is for the first time are we starting to see Halliburton maybe overthinking things offensively? No, I don't think that's the case at all. I think what more than anything is you're seeing teams guard him differently. Them seeing what the game plan is from other teams, like the Lakers and teams before them, saying, hey, if we cut him off, if we limit him to an average performance, 20 points, 11 rebounds, that's a 10-point that's a win for us is what other teams are looking at. So you're seeing more doubles, more traps. Uh, because of what he's doing – um, and playing 35 minutes per game, he's being picked up. Full are those more. things that are unforeseen <clears throat> previously for him? In other words, is he seeing looks now that he's never seen before? No, but he's seen them much more often. Before, you would see certain teams do that. Uh, Jaden McDaniels with Minnesota was always great at that. When he played his former team, the Sacramento Kings, they knew exactly how to defend him. Now the book is out, I believe, on on how to try to minimize the Pacers, and it starts with Tyrese. You, you know he's going to get his 10 assists, but as long as he doesn't get his 27, 30 points per game, like he was, aver- he was averaging 29 points in November. This month, 19 points per game. Yeah, I, it seems to me, and maybe it's just the nature of trying to increase things offensively when you know you're giving up points, but it seems like they're now – and I'm not trying to pick on the guy. I think he's a great player. I mean, I know that. But it feels like offensively Halliburton has had more like careless plays with the ball than we had previously seen. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. You think back to even just last night, I think in the first quarter he had three turnovers to two assists and no points. Part of that, I think it was just lack of focus by him and his teammates, kind of a little bit lackadaisical and, uh, being a little bit exhausted with it. I know that's an excuse, but um, they're trying to play fast, push push the tempo, but a little bit more careless. And, and the, the margin for error is much more slim when he's being defended and getting the attention that he is now receiving. Scott, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files is our guest. 
Aaron Neesmith at the four. One of the things I love about Neesmith is the fact that he does have versatility and you can put him a number of places. And, and I think he's not afraid of any defensive matchup. But does putting him at the four then create for you some challenges offensively of where you can totally utilize what he does bring? Or is he a guy that does not need to have plays facilitated through him offensively? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I, I think that move would be, you know, you're going to get the hustle play, some loose rebounds. He's going to block out and handle his man. The, the key thing is he's kind of this Swiss army knife for this team. He is that versatile guy. Excuse me. So it gives you that more um, dynamic of a look defensively. He, he doesn't care about who he's facing. He's put on some weight in the off season to be able to guard some of the bigger guys. And I think he really relishes those opportunities. So I am not opposed to that because you can see, especially early on in the season, there would be a lot of miscommunication and breakdowns um, between the bigs from Obi Toppin not being in the right spot. There were several times I remember where Miles Turner would be shouting something out, then he would have to over-recover and Miles would make the foul while trying to do so. Uh, Neesmith knows the system. He's been here for a couple of years. I would I would like to see more of Aaron because you know what you're getting from him each night. Fieldhouse file Scott Agnes joins us. Scott, our producer Eddie Garrison brought this up to me during one of our breaks. We're looking at what's ahead for the Pacers. How important is this next five or six game stretch? Charlotte at Memphis, Orlando at Houston, at Chicago versus New York to close the year. When you look at what they have awaiting them to open 2024 back to backs, well not back to backs literally, but two straight games against Milwaukee, Atlanta mixed in there, and then two straight against Boston. 16 of 23 games to open up the 2024 calendar against playoff teams. There you go. Yeah, it's a gauntlet. You cannot emphasize enough how important this next really five-game stretch is. Now, Memphis will probably have John Moran, who's expected to return from his suspension. Um, I think it's tomorrow night. Uh, So he will be back in the lineup, but that Memphis team has not been good this season. Orlando is going to be a big challenge just because they are exactly opposite. If you want to see what the Pacers need on the wing, look at Orlando because they built their team around that kind of new age player, much like Toronto has. But once you hit January 1, that's when things really get difficult. And so that's why I was so hard on this team in, in the first month of the season. They had 11 of their first 16 at home and they only went 9-7. and seven. It felt like they left a lot on the table, and for as many good wins as they've had, boy, they had some bad ones. Scott Agnes is our guest, Fieldhouse Files, where you can read him. <coughs> Scott, sorry about that. I, you ever swallowed the wrong, the wrong way with water there, yes, Jimmy? all the time. I just did that right there, and I almost like everywhere. But, but you I, didn't. You stuck the landing. Well, you know, I mean. That's listen, important. As, as Santa Jake, right? I'm, I'm over here drinking coffee because I got a big night ahead of me. Now. And you can clean it up here. with the snap of your fingers, right? I mean, let's That's be right. real. That, that is true, yeah. Scott, your number one Christmas wish list for yourself is what? I'd say good health. I've, I've had that cough for the last couple of months like many people. I'd like to just feel like myself again. Okay. Well, don't hang around Eddie. Yeah, stay out of oh the studio. <laughs> stay out of the studio. Now, the, the good news is Eddie Garrison was trying to clean out the air in here with his computer about the the fan on that bad boy was running. Did you hear that over the air? Uh, I don't know if you could no. or not. It was, that thing was humming along. Uh, Scott, we What's appreciate really it as Jake? always, man. I appreciate it, Jake. Thank you, man. Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files. You didn't hear the Eddie's – it's not your fault. Would the computer fan over there? I did not hear the no. part fan part. Elijah, will you help me out here? Am I the only one that heard this? It's really loud. I mean, it sounds like the computer in my room, and I have a (laughs) gaming PC, so. There you go. Thank you. Elijah and his Texas Instrument computer that helped. By the way. Leave it to the college student to suck up to Jake. Listen. He doesn't know better. It's not his fault. 
I'd like to give a round of applause. I'd like for the crowd listening to give a round of applause for two peop- for two points here. Number one, Hold again, on, happy anniversary yet. to my parents. 59th wedding anniversary, right? Thank you. Indeed. And secondly, how about our boy, the pride of the fan, carrying out and raising the average grade point average of this fine institution, <laughs> Elijah, who comes in here, he runs the board at night, he cuts audio for us, he does all the little things. Elijah's like the TJ McConnell of this place. He does all the little things. He steals the inbounds. And what else does he do? Now, what year are you in school, Elijah? I just finished my junior year. Your and I'm, I'm going to be graduating year. early, too. So, Well, of course, because Elijah's what, – what we call you, Elijah, is child prodigy. Now, Elijah, who's wearing his finest 1985 Journey uh, denim jacket. That's a throwback, as the kids say, right? Yes, it's okay. uh, it's vintage. I've actually got two of these. One was my <laughs> dad's. Vintage. One was my dad's from the 80s. But this one my girlfriend got for me off eBay. Uh, and I think it's from like 89 or something. I like the Oilers patch on your jersey or on your jacket. But Elijah with a 4.0. How about that? Straight A student well Elijah with a 4.0. Running circles around this place. I love it. Thank what, you. What do you want for Christmas besides a new jacket? Can are I get you, a patch for the jacket? Yeah, you can give me a patch for the jacket. Are you are you wanting my sports wishes or just in general? No, I want your overall wish. So my overall wish this Christmas, I'll give you my sports one because I've been thinking about it. I drove in and I was listening to you and I kind of thought about it. Oh, it, so then do you case, know how to Christmas, Santa Jake. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> my <laughs> initial thought was to ask you for something Packers related, but I realized that the Packers, even if they suck, they're not going to go anywhere. <laughs> okay. Like if they had a season where they where they won zero games, they'd still be there next season for us to watch. I think IndyCar needs to figure out their hybrid engine problem, and because like right now the series, people are saying the series is, oh, the series is screwed if they don't figure this out. I don't know how true that is, but so you would like to see for them to accelerate, obviously, and get the opportunity for all teams to be able to have the hybrid engine to test it so that they can unveil them on time and say, yes, Pete, right? I okay. want yes, 100%. all right, Santa Jake will see what he can do. I'll see what I can do. If nothing else, I might be able to get you a hybrid engine patch for your. That would jacket. work. I'd yeah. put it on. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be both elusive and. Do you have vintage. any old like IRL patches laying around? Because I'd take those. <laughs> Did the, you have any when you cleaned you know, out sixty you know percent of your? It uh, makes me feel to know that IRL is considered vintage for a four zero college student. Well, I was born in 02, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there you go. We'll see. I'll see what I can do for you, Elijah. I probably have an entire box of different stuff. Uh, Lloyd Pierce, speaking of vintage jackets, vintage coats is exactly what the Pacers could use to help out those throughout central Indiana. And the assistant coach for the Pacers, Lloyd Pierce, is the head of all of it, and he will help explain their need and how you can help next. We have been talking plenty about the Pacers and their game last night with the Los Angeles Clippers, the challenges coming off of that Rick Carlisle talked about the in-season tournament. And then we've also been talking about Santa Jake and doing what we can to deliver for the different sports teams throughout central Indiana. But at the same time, it is important to highlight the fact that the franchises and the different businesses of Indianapolis are a critical part of this community and bettering the lives for not only those of us that enjoy watching games, but also helping out those that might need a little bit of help during the holiday season. And joining us now on the program, assistant coach for the Pacers, Lloyd Pierce, who has taken that exactly to heart by saying, you know what, the weather is getting colder outside and there are people that might need our help, and so let's step up to do it. And he joins us to talk about it. Coach, first off, I appreciate the time today. How are you? 
I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate well, it. Listen, I, I love the cause, and I appreciate you coming on to talk about it. Take us through how people today can help out at the Horizon House, which is, by the way, at on Washington Street, 1033 East Washington Street. But take me through the initiative here of collecting coats for people of Indianapolis. Yeah, I mean, we obviously know um, our neighbors that are that are unsheltered, that are out on the street. Uh, the Horizon House is, is geared specifically to addressing a lot of their needs, um, whether it's shelter, food, um, getting them their B&B services, getting registration. It's kind of a one-stop shop um, for our neighbors that are on the street. But obviously in the winter months, it gets cold out here. And, you know, when I went to visit with the Horizon House and figure out ways that my family and I could get involved, the main thing they said from a short-term need was being able to help those that are on the street, that are out there uh, with winter coats. Um, They had a drive a couple months ago where a couple churches stepped up and provided some blankets and some comforters. Uh, but their, their their main need right now was for winter coats. So I thought, why not get the Pacers involved? Let's get a coat drive going. Uh, and I think our organization has done a tremendous job of, of advertising it. Um, I'm here on the radio show talking to you guys about it. So we're, we're looking forward to, uh, to doing our part. And my understanding is, and of course this all gets underway in kind of the cap of this, because I know that they've had obviously ways that people have been able to drop off at the field house. But you're going to be out at Horizon House, if I'm not mistaken, Coach, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but from 3.30 to 5.30 today, people are going to have a chance to bring, and I think most people have in the closet, that coat that you think, you know what, I didn't wear it last winter, somebody else can use it. Uh, If you drop it off now, first 50 people are going to get a chance to come see the Pacers play in action, but this is all going on for a couple of hours today, correct? Yeah, 3.30 to 5.30, I'm headed over there uh, pretty much right when I get off the phone with you guys to help set up. Uh, we encourage anyone to drop off. Everybody's got a coat they're not wearing. We, we all like to purge at some point. Let's purge today with some of those coats that we haven't worn in three or four years that are still in good condition. Uh, my guy Aaron Neesmith is coming out to help out as well, and uh, I think there'll be a few volunteers from the organization. So we're looking forward to it, and anything that we can give and provide will always be uh, beneficial to those that are in need. Pacers assistant coach Lloyd Pierce is our guest. Again, that Coat Drive taking place at Horizon House at 1033 East Washington Street from 3.30 to 5.30 today. And as Coach mentioned, Aaron Neesmith will join him from 4.30 to 5.30 for the event as well. Coach, in all your stops around the NBA, working with organizations like Horizon House, you've mentioned and called it an obligation. It's very important to you. Why is it so much deeper than basketball for you? Why why do you feel called to, to help and give back to the community when you can? Well, I think we're all in a privileged position as coaches, as players, um, as the organization. Um, We feed off the energy and the support that our fans, our community provides for us. And it's our obligation and commitment to provide for them and specifically to provide for those that are in need. And so Horizon House is right around the corner for us from us. Everywhere I've been, it's been an obligation. Um, We know the privilege of our position. We know what we can do to amplify messaging. We know what we can do to help organizations that are doing the right work but need the right assistance. And that's where we all step in. And and I felt that obligation. I, I feel completely committed to it, and I'm always looking for more to do. Coach, it's funny. I was looking at Lloyd Pierce, you know, your resume and and, you know, I know you're a California guy. It's funny because being from San Jose, you know, people think yeah. like, oh, you know, Northern California, it's, it's, 
He's never had cold. You know, it gets a little chilly there. I mean, I, I know. It gets, it gets a little chilly. It does. Day. It gets a lot of chilly in San Francisco at I, night. Trust me. I, I have, <laughs> I think I have like three or four fleeces that I had bought in San Francisco because I got there thinking I didn't need anything. And then you go in right. there and you're like, whoa, it just dropped to 55 degrees here, right? But Yeah, if you're in the East Bay, if you're in Oakland and then you cross over the Bay Bridge, you might experience a 15 degree drop. <laughs> totally, right? But I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, so you played at Santa Clara. You grew up in California. California, you know, I know in the NBA, you were in Golden State and Memphis, you know, that's a little bit okay. And then I thought, wait a minute, you began, if I'm not mistaken, as a player, didn't you play in Montana at one time? I was in, yeah, I went out to Montana, uh, wanted a small level. I don't even know if it was CBA. It was low level pro. And then I went to Germany, China, Australia, and I said, this is not for me. I'm getting into coaching. <laughs> so I, I, I did about four years of that, and so I've, you know, as a result, it's advanced my coaching career because I started early. I'm 17 years in the NBA and five years in co- at college, so I, I have 22 years of coaching on, on my resume um, because the playing overseas, the travel, the adjustments, that just wasn't for me. I would think that one year in Montana would cause somebody to have enough winter coats right there that you've got a couple of them to spare now, right? It was more, it was more like one week. I wasn't out there very often. <laughs> I was getting, it's 20 <laughs> below, and you're like, all right, I'm good. I'm out of here, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, again, 3.30 until 5.30 today, Horizon House at 10.33 East Washington. This is the most important thing, folks. If you're if you're coming out, and again, the first fifty are going to get Pacer tickets, but your chance to meet Coach, to meet Aaron Neesmith, any size, any I mean, if it is something that helps keep people warm, then that's what is needed at Horizon House, which is a fabulous facility. I've been there as well. Folks can go in, and they. What I really like about it is people are allowed to to go in and and kind of shop, if you will, like it's a store, and right. pick out a coat that's good right. for them. You know, which anybody should be able to do. Um, and Coach, Coach you, you've mentioned that it's not just limited to today, right? I know you're making a big push for the 19th, but but as a whole, Horizon House message for the holiday is, is bigger than that, correct? Absolutely. I mean, there, there are, there's always going to be needs. There's always going to be pressing needs. Um, this is something that we wanted to jump on as the holiday season approached, as the winter months and the weather started to change. Um, so we, we wanted to attack the day while we were in town and we had an opportunity to be there hands-on. Uh, but they're always looking for volunteers. They're always looking for donations. They're always looking for assistance. So anyone that's available that's looking to, to get involved, to get involved with helping their neighbors and the community, Horizon House is a great place to start. Coach, I want to ask you one um, basketball question real quick because we were talking about it earlier, and I wanted your your input on this. I know that Coach Carlisle was on with you know Kevin and Andy this morning, but to me it's a really interesting period in watching the Pacers because – I thought the real value of the in-season tournament was not just, you know, the interest level that sparked from it for the community and everything else, but in addition to that, having a young team realize the way that Los Angeles, for example, kind of turned up that wick defensively right. when that money was on the line, and I would much rather a young team learn that in December than in, like, April or May. And I think they're kind of still – feeling that effect because they got on the radar a little bit is that an accurate statement and and how long is that learning process that you have to work through well the learning process is ongoing i don't care what stage of your career you're in the day you stop learning is the day you start 
on the decline. Um, there, there's always ways to grow and improve in this game. Um, we're seeing a guy who we played in the in-season final in year 21 step his game up in a lot of different ways, and it was pretty new for a lot of our guys. But I think the in-season tournament, we're 25 games in. We've played some meaningful basketball, and you, you appreciate the lessons and the value of those meaningful games. You know, we had seven in-season tournament games. We played Miami back-to-back twice. We played uh, Philadelphia back-to-back two teams that we split on the road against to put us in that position. Uh, We had a grueling travel schedule as a result of the in-season tournament and then going on a four-game road trip. That's only going to prepare us. It's only going to help us. We've hit a little lull in the last few games, um, but that's also part of the process and the growth. Um, How do you respond coming off of emotional games? Uh, We have to step our game up. We have to step our game up on the defensive end, but we also have to have the mental fortitude and strength to know that everybody's gunning for us now. And that's, that's a result of having success in the in-season tournament this early in the season. This sounds like a cliche, Coach, because I think people say it about every team. Fans say this about no matter what team you're a fan of, people say, well, the thing I like about them is the following. So I know it sounds cliche, but is this as good a chemistry group as you've had in your professional career? And by that I mean – guys that seemingly just all interchangeably get along with one another, which I think can be rare. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I always say that there are three levels of guys. You have high-maintenance guys, you have low-maintenance guys, and you have no-maintenance guys. And our roster from top to bottom is uh, pretty much no-maintenance and low-maintenance. We don't, we don't have any high-maintenance guys. You're not reading about our guys in the papers and off-season stuff and off-the-court off problems. Our guys come to work. They enjoy playing with each other. Uh, we have tremendous energy on and off the bench. Uh, the guys hang out with each other off the court. Uh, it is a very high-character team. Um, and I enjoy, I enjoy – in my 17 years, this is by far the most enjoyable team that we've had. We're fun offensively. We're learning defensively. And we're eager to get to that next step and that next level. But that comes from character of our guys. And I, and I truly believe we have some of the best guys on our roster. 1033 East Washington Street is where you can find Horizon House. Uh, That obviously is just a little bit east of downtown. Horizon House until 5.30 today, starting at 3.30 until 5.30. Lloyd Pierce will be there. Aaron Neesmith will be there. Your chance to pick up some Pacer tickets for tomorrow night's game. But more importantly, folks, if you're listening to this, a chance for you to help out the people in central Indiana that most need it during the cold periods and i'm telling you i've been around horizon house i've dealt and talked with and worked with a lot of the folks that are going to benefit from this and um oftentimes it's just a tough circumstance that put people in that position and they just need to know that it's a city that's behind them that's willing to help and lift them up and carry them through in a tough time and that's part of what this is all about coach i appreciate the the time and i appreciate certainly your understanding and your compassion towards the people of Indianapolis that are going to benefit from this initiative. Thank you guys for having me on and, and really plugging this, uh, this co-drive. We really appreciate it. Appreciate it very much. Lloyd Pierce, the assistant coach for the Indiana Pacers. Again, uh, 3.30 until 5.30. And I'm telling you, um, I, I mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention it again. I, I know the narrative. I know the understanding um, or, or, or the stereotype, I guess I should say, of well, people are on the streets. You know, they 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 don't want to get a job, or they they're into drugs, or whatever else. And I mean, obviously, there are you know, there's going to be cases 
in any circumstance where you can find things to support theories. But in the times that I have have met with, been around, talked to, worked with the less fortunate in Indianapolis, and in particular those that could benefit from something like this, those that are getting their clothing from Horizon House, more often than not, it was amazing to me, childhood trauma was such a common theme for so many people that just had circumstances that put them behind the eight ball that they're trying to pull themselves out of. And oftentimes, you never know when it's just that one glimmer, that one moment where they realize or feel like there is one person that believes in them or wanted to help them, and that lifts them out of a darkness. That And I've seen it. I've seen it work. And for Lloyd Pierce and the Pacers to put this together, and I know there are a lot of great things going on around town. We had Aunt Paris on who's doing his toy drive. Um, I'm really thankful to everybody that helped out with the kids at Firefly that we got 1,423 kids, I think it was, that got sponsors for the holiday season. But it should be a year-round initiative. You know, kindness, generosity, and belief in the less fortunate should be a year-round initiative. But of all times, the times when it is the most impactful perhaps is right now. And for that matter, it is at the core of it, the true meaning and the true genesis of the exact season that we celebrate today. So I appreciate Lloyd Pierce and the Pacers doing that and putting it on. And all when together. it's something as simple as as a coat for somebody, Which I mean, if you, all go, of us go, have them in our closet, right? Go, go stand outside and tell me how long yeah. that you can last out there. Totally. And then think about somebody that it, its livelihood is out there with homelessness right now. I mean, it's it's such a, a great cause. You mentioned the whole full circle of the holiday spirit, but the idea of something as simple as a coat that can help somebody survive in some ways. I mean, I, you know, I admit, Jimmy, I, I'm maybe even embarrassed to admit it, but like, you know, don't we have, like you open your closet and you're yeah. like, you know what, that coat, like I, it's been two years since I put that coat on. Right. You know, somebody, somebody gladly take it, right? You know what I mean? Um, and then I also have a, an all denim Guns N' Roses jacket that I got to give to Elijah. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? I, I really do, Elijah. Michael Young gave it to me. I have it. I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to it, though. There's no way I'm giving that out. There's no way I'm giving you my guns. No, but I'm being sarcastic. But honestly, um, I actually, a couple years ago, was cleaning out my closet and found a, a coat that I literally was like, I had it, I think, since college. You know, and I kept saying to myself, like, oh, I'll wear this sometime. I'm like, come on. I mean, what is it still doing there, right? Uh, we'll come back. We'll put a, a tie on all of it, and then we'll hand it off to John, who I'm sure is going to have plenty to say about the Pacers. Because last night, Eddie, you know he's taking that out on you, right? No. Yesterday, John said, since he had to wrap his show early because of the Pacers, they better play well. So and why they, is it my fault? Well, you, you know, you're the one that's producing the whole thing that booted him off, right? Um, that is true. There's some blood sure. on your hands there. <laughs> that's right. See, I knew Jimmy would have my back. <laughs> the Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day will start first in the NBA. John Morant makes his return to the floor. We'll take John Morant over 24.5 total points tonight as the Memphis Grizzlies are in New Orleans against the Pelicans. Also in the NBA at 10-10 tonight, the Celtics battle the Golden State Warriors. Steph Curry did something the other night he had not done in 268 games. That's a leave a contest without a three-pointer. He gets five of them tonight. Give me over four and a half triples for Steph against the Celtics. Lastly, Frisco Bowl, Marshall versus the University of Texas, San Antonio. We'll take the over 49 and a half total points in that game. Eddie, do you have anything? I do. I'm going to also take John Morant. I'll take him over uh, on assist instead of points just because 
I think he's going to get everyone involved, including Desmond Bain. So the assist line for John Morant over seven and a half, and then I will take over three and a half threes for the sharpshooter in Memphis. By the way, you said the Frisco Bowl. Yep, I'm going to guess that's in San Francisco. Uh, Frisco, Texas. Frisco, Texas. Yep. Do you get a Frisco melt? For I think that? so. They actually dump it on the coach that wins. Bunch of Frisco melts the, right on them. Now. The the Frisco Bowl, which should be in Frisco. Did you know that was in Frisco, Texas, there, John? Okay. Less. UTSA is yeah. in that. That's the Roadrunners, right? <laughs> it is, is the Roadrunners. Right? Yes. Is there any university that's the Coyotes? Why is there no Coyotes anywhere? It's a decent mascot, is it not? There's got to be a Coyote somewhere. <laughs> I mean, you got a Roadrunner, yeah. right? Some... I was always bummed. You got a man. couple. University of South Dakota is yeah. the Coyotes. Seriously, right. they should play UTSA in a bowl game. I agree. Sponsored by Acme. Me, me. Preferably, right? You ever seen any coyotes where you live? Yes. Yeah. They're running around, aren't they? Everywhere. They're, they're moving closer to, well, I shouldn't say they're moving closer Urban to the neighborhoods. We're, we're moving closer to them, Yes, right? we are. Yeah. I feel bad so, for them, to be honest with you. They're wild animals. What do they, what do they call them? Uh, I forget. Wild animals. That's good enough. <laughs> they call them coyotes. <laughs> they call wild them coyotes. animals. By the way, I told Eddie that you, JMV, yeah. um, that you were going to be fired up about the Pacers. I thought that was awful last night. Yeah, it makes me mad. Listen, I know that they're not any good defensively, but maybe a little, little bit, a little was, bit of resistance. It was rough, man. A little bit. And they got clowned. James Harden's laughing and screaming into the camera. What are you doing? That? Snow angels. When he yelled at the camera, yeah. I, I thought of you and immediately oh, went to Twitter and sure enough, I turned there was. that blank right <laughs> off, man. I, I'm seriously, if, if that, I like. Watching so them, I didn't see it. What did he do to the camera? James that snowflake Harden. moment. Yeah. He looked right at a valley camera. Was like, ah! Yeah, he did is, that, and then it turned his, out it wasn't a foul. His, <laughs> I would love to tell you off the air what that picture looked like from the 1970s, but I can't. If on the air, I can't tell you. Off the air, I can. You laugh too. Lakers and Pacers okay. two like and seven. A, since forget, the I see. I I, I can go somewhere right now, but Todd's going to sprint down here and yell at me if I do it. So I'm not going to do it. Oh, I'm, yeah, I know. See, I'm growing right here. Listen, I'm getting all grown up. Listen, just so we know, Todd might come down here. Todd hasn't sprinted anywhere in a long time. <laughs> he and I have for that this he may, for this he may. But no, you were there, right? Yeah, that's that was a joke. You know, it, it was, was a joke. Here's the thing, they. You kind of knew they were shorthanded. I remember yeah. I, I turned around to Eric at one point and I said, you know what, they're, they're going to get run down here just because, not that the Clippers are overly deep, but you know, you, you don't have some of your main, really your only defensive players were all seemingly on the bench. I mean, although Neesmith was in there, but Neesmith can't do it all on his own. Who do you think, you factor in these guys missing, you still think they give up a buck fifty because I do? Well, I think that they... I that think not having Miles. Turner out there is really hurts you because Turner's your last line of defense when when you turn style on the wings and they're turn styling on the wings. That's I just I thought that that had zero to do with that more than it did these guys shooting open threes barely with a hand well, and a close out sure. of their face. And I don't think Miles eighty eight percent into from that beyond at all. the arc for Harden is insane. Like, I don't. I'm not wild. he factors in not one ounce. Harden had I will say Harden had and I'm not a huge James Harden fan. Although I think in, in Philly, he was more unselfish than he's probably credited. But he had one move last night where he did like a kind of a double crossover and then a step back three. <laughs> I told you, Todd didn't Speak of the devil, in. he shall appear. <laughs> you haven't seen me sprint down the hall because the old parable about the old bull and the young bull. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> Todd, Todd just came in. That's from the movie Brad Colors. Walking down the hall. It's a Robert Duvall tells no, Sean Penn that in Colors. Hard, yeah. Harden, Harden, his release. I mean, it is something to watch in person. There's no doubt. And but I you are correct. They were nowhere near. No, you do. I yeah. I almost said if I said 1970s. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Lakers, anyway. and, Lakers and Pacers yes. both post in season yes. tournament final of struggle. They're a combined two and seven. Not that there's really a real correlation there, but it is odd that those two teams I, I just think, struggled immensely. John, I think Halliburton's play has become more erratic. I, I, he's a wonderful player, don't get me wrong. But, you think he's pressing? I do think he's pressing yeah. a little bit. He's doing a lot. He's not trying. He's, tra- he's trying to do a lot. Well, pressing defensively, he is not. Doing, <laughs> um, but no. And listen, I thought Shaq hit it on the head a couple of weeks ago when he said, "You know, their defense is just not going to get that much better, and you got to hope that you can get some late stops in the fourth, and that can be the difference." But you know, last night they weren't close enough to do that. I mean, you got to give yourself a chance. But still, I go back to being able to beat the teams that you should beat like you should tomorrow night in Charlotte, whom you've already lost to once at right. home. Washington back on Friday night. So, Washington's the one that was inexcusable. I, I mean... Yeah, it, that, that that's where I go to. And then I look at it like this. I wouldn't want to get embarrassed at that level. Think about everybody talking about Paul George wanting to come here and Paul George talking to Halliburton about wanting to come here. Paul George probably watched that last night and thought, man, why don't I want to come here? Kawhi Leonard's having a party on the bench. I've never seen him that fired up and excited. (laughs) Not even when he won a title. Right. Great point. I mean, he was all jumping around and stuff. I mean, they did that. They and this is where a young team needs to understand that when you get embarrassed like that, you got to find some payback somewhere. I mean, you got to have some pride and find it because they could not find any they're, last night. Listen, no, learning, no resistance. They're learning on the job about what it is to all of a sudden be a team that that yeah. Got that's, a what attention, right? that's, that's what you that's want. That's what you want. Exactly right. You yep. want it now. These right? next six are critical because, of, as Eddie pointed out, how you open the year with Milwaukee twice, Boston twice. You got to take advantage to John's point. Weaker competition over the next six. All right. So, John, what do you got uh, taking us home? Here? I think Greg's going to be here. Noah Eagle, the son of Ian Eagle, who is on the rise as a play-by-play man nationally, going to join us. Uh, Rob Blackman, Boilermaker Radio Network, the play-by-play man, and as Larry Bird once said, Stefakit, the number one Boilers, right? Stefakit. I like to dribble, pass, shoot, stuff I get. <laughs> <laughs> that's stuff like that, by the I'll way. Walk stuff away I get. That's MVP. one word. That's that's one word in Southern Indiana. Stuff I get. <laughs> that's that's your hey man. Them's your peeps, John. <laughs> they are. J&B's up next. Thanks for listening. We'll be back at noon tomorrow.